Hi, I'm Zealand. Like, actually, this isn't AI or anything. And you're listening to the Thousand Hours Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the A Thousand Hours Podcast, your favourite podcast featuring three people called Alex talking about Football Manager. Why do you listen to this? I don't know. Why do we do it? Uh, so we have an excuse to meet up and have a nice chat. Um, I'm Alex Towles, and I'm joined, as I usually am, by Alex Tam Brown. Hello, Alex Tam Brown. No one's going to know that it took you four times to get the intro right. Well, they are now. And Alex Woodward. Hello, Alex Woodward. Bonjour, no. At one point, I said we, our names was Owls instead of Alex. It's going well. Um, so, we're going to start the podcast as we don't normally do, by covering some news. Because since we last recorded, there have been two major pieces of FM, like, bug or glitch news, I suppose, um, which were uncovered on the Football Manager Reddit and then publicised by everybody's favourite Twitter account, Out of Context FM. I, I don't think he. I don't think he's anyone's favourite anymore. To be honest, after throwing no. several temper tantrums recently, <laughs> it's not fair. But um, I'm not allowed to steal work off people and not credit them. Yeah, very good impression. Yeah, I think that's absolutely accurate. Um, yeah, if anyone, yeah, I think what the most famous example, the one that you got called out the hardest for, was just yoinking. Uh, Lelujo, FM content creator Lelujo's um, screenshot of a player from his save called Saturday Sunday. Just taking it. No credit. No anything. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Um, what does matter is that there were these two glitches. Um, the first of which, there was like some very scientific, I say with air quotes, research done that seemed to suggest that like dribbling... And then, like, a few pace and acceleration stats were the only thing that mattered. And you could set everything else to one, uh, and you'd still win the league at a canter. And the second is the uh, transfer glitch, where for £2.5 million, uh, you can sign basically, well, literally anyone in the game. You can force it to be accepted. Um, So let's start with uh, the... Attributes one because it's been disproven already by people smarter and faster on the ball than us. But I I just wanted to ask you guys' opinions on it. Um, So, Tam Brown, is is this something that you find kind of rings true in your saves that physical physical attributes rule rule king above all? You're asking a lower league merchant who relies upon um, the physical attributes. So, yes, in a sense, because it. It matters when you're in the lower leagues when everyone's technical ability is the same as uh, a wet dog trying to get out of a plastic bag. You know, it's just the technique's just not there. But the physicals do matter when you're in like level 10, even level 11 leagues. But when it comes to like League One, League Two, Premier League, nah, it, it's, it's a lot about how well rounded a player is. So if you had a player with like all 15 attributes, they would probably be better than a player who's got a range from 12 to 17 on different attributes. I'm not, I'm not actually sure I agree with you there. I, I think that there's plenty of room for abusing physicality, in, even in the highest levels of FM. Like It just means that like the threshold for what is good physicality is different. So like in your lower leagues, if you've got a lad with... 14 acceleration, 14 pace. 
he's going to tear defences to shreds, even if he's got three finishing. Whereas, in your, if you're playing in the Champions League, you might need someone with 18s and 19s if you want to get a similar effect. But it's not impossible to get... And, and, and also, they're not going to be able to do it with, like, twos everywhere else. They're going to need to be more well-rounded. But people that are almost, like, almost exclusively pace merchants and otherwise, like, championship standard players, I think can make an impact in the game at Champions League level. Um... Woodward, do you do you have much thought on the subject? Yeah, no. Um, really, it's sort of similar to what Tampa Brown said. Unless their physical attributes are genuinely really low, I, I don't place massive stock in into it. If I if I make sense, it, it. I mean, it's the same with any other um, starts to do with technical ability as well. Um, it's as long as they're not like really odd, then even numbers only. 13, 11, Nana has to be a 12 or 14, but uh, <laughs> no, if, if it's, if, unless it's really off, then I'm not going to bother. But would you sign a centre-back who's 5 foot 6? Yeah. It depends. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm a full believer in the Muggsy Bogue school of um, you can do it if you try hard enough. I was going to say, if he's got 20 jumping reach and 20 heading, He's obviously a very good five foot six centre back, and it also depends whether or not you're playing him as a no nonsense centre back, or whether you're just going crazy and having him as a libero and basically just a, another defensive midfielder. So, very true. The, there was actually a really interesting point made by I can't remember who it was, but it was talking about uh, the attributes thing, and it was they made the point of say if a player has ten consistency but say 14 finishing that means that only half the time they're going to be i think i think this is how they said it half the time they're only going to be reaching that 14 out of 20 finishing level Mm. and if they've got 20 then they're going to be hitting it a lot more often so it's actually the hidden attributes that matter but obviously you can't see them you've got to just see them through sort of scout reports and and so on and so that I think that's more important is the hidden attributes rather than the the physical attributes mm. because if you've got an injury prone player, they can be as good as anything, but you know they'll break their toe walking into a door or something. I, I think that's true regardless of like the pure attributes. I suppose um, I, I I think though I I do find that if you've got players that are quick that are strong, it can make a really big impact even at a high level. Like I remember, um, I uh, to be fair, this isn't like Champions League level. This is like Championship standards. Um, last season in my Taunton save, um, I had a winger called I think like Dennis Birmingham or something like that. His surname was Birmingham. Dennis might not have been his first name, but he was a winger, right winger, who had like seventeen acceleration and eighteen pace. And everything else, he was basically crap. But he got, like, double figures, goals and assists for me in the championship. Just because he was... I set him as a winger on attack. And he just ran in behind. And he got lots and lots of crosses onto the head of my strikers. Yeah, you see the same in a few FMs ago. When Nicolas Pepe was in that kind of rut for Arsenal in real life. Okay, he was a really pacey winger on FM, and he was an absolute god on FM. And it's like, 
Well, if this was the player that Arsenal bought for seventy-two million, then fine. But he's not because he's shit. <laughs> and and FM just had had this almost bug almost where because he's had fantastic physical attributes, he managed to just absolutely do defenses in. So maybe it rings true. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Maybe it did ring true a few years ago, but maybe not now. And maybe when they change the match engine as well next year, things will wildly change with how the attributes are working, I'm guessing. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see for that. Um, I, I didn't pull the five foot six centre back out of nowhere, to be fair. I've currently got a five foot eight centre back uh, on my current save. Um, where exactly we'll get into, but um, he, I, I signed him and I didn't realise just how short he was. Um, I signed him for £70 million because if you look at his attributes, he is one of the best centre-backs in the world. He's just 5 foot 8 and he's got 8 jumping reach. And he's genuinely been, like, completely average. I signed an 18-year-old who was, in theory, worse than him. Like, he's still like a wonder kid, ridiculous. But, like, in theory, worse than him across the board except he has 15 jumping reach and he's six foot one and he's played just so much better so that's weird anyway let's um talk about the second glitch which is the uh the transfer glitch so this one is that you can sign any player in the game by making an offer of zero pounds up front over six six monthly installments I think it's £1.2,000. And then after 20 league appearances, I think anything above two and a half million. And that will get the deal done. Even if you put like selling team wage contribution, like anything like that, the deal will be accepted if it's got £0, £1.2,000 of uh, over X amount of time, and then two and a half million plus after X appearances. Um, so Tam Brown what do you think of this new way of abusing me again I haven't tried it but surely there's something in the game's code that it just means that the transfer offer is accepted you've still got to negotiate a contract with this player so you're not going to sign Mbappe for Oxford City right and even so if you did sign Mbappe for Oxford City you know what the, what the hell are you doing he, he much 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 more deserves somewhere worse to even play. if you did sign Mbappe for Oxford City you're going to struggle to find two and a half million quid <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ex- you've got to have the funds first and foremost to be able to pull off the transfer because that will be deducted from your season's budget because mm. they'll expect you to pay play twenty games. But you know what? It's a, it's an offline game, right? People can play how they want to play. It's not going to affect anyone who mm. doesn't participate in your game. So if you want to play like that, fantastic. I mean, SI have said that they're going to patch the yeah. bug now. But, who had to grass? Yeah. If, that's if that's my what you question. To do. How do you grass and tell everyone? No one knew mm. about Yeah, because no one was and making then... these offers and then someone just did it on Reddit. Yeah. Someone did it. It got famous for a day. And then everyone starts complaining when SI go, yeah, we're going to patch this. Mm. It's like, what do you want? I mean, what yeah, you, you, you told them to their face there is an error in their game and you think they're going to go, oh, sweet. A significant one as well, yeah. like not just like one that oh, undermines the right. game. Yeah, one that completely undermines the whole value of the transfer yeah. market. But to be honest, I I take a similar view to Tam Brown. My only question is if it, it, it's weird 
that you know we have we have the in-game edit and we have other tools that people have made that allow you to manipulate the game in multiple ways and i'm not against any of them obviously i can't be against any of them because i have a series on this podcast about using them but if you want to if you want to have shortcuts and you want to make the game easier just just use the editor there's, there's no there's no like you can't feel like you've won more legitimately or not if you use this this um this hack and i've never believed in like the whole get good mentality that particularly came around on the internet 10 years ago though obviously it stems from arcade culture i've never believed in the idea that you have to beat the game on the hardest setting and anything other than that is failure just the the only objective of football manager the only objective of every game is to have fun so do that do whatever it takes for you to have fun and everyone can be fine. We don't have to just just use the editor if you want to use the editor. That's that's the whole point of this. Yeah, you're creating your own narrative at the mm. end of the day. What does it matter if you if you save scummed a bit? I know this is like sacrilege in the mm. FM community to say this, but if you save scum, so what? Yeah, right. If if you've if you've worked 15 years and you've got to your first FA Cup final as a Premier League team and you're playing against. Forest Green from League Two. It is absolutely acceptable to save Scum until you win. That, that's <laughs> just because it's against Forest Green. Tal, uh, Tam Brown can't stop. That is, that's true. That's true. That is, that's true. But you know, the principle still remains. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. you think it fits your story better, fine. Yeah, like that, that's that's what this. Cause I, I, I've made this comparison before um, to a couple of friends who are like into their fan fiction, read things on Ao3 and stuff like that, uh, and I, I told them that. Football Manager is essentially a fan fiction engine, uh, and that made them laugh. Uh, but that's basically what it is. Like we're like telling these stories in the game. Like it's self-insert fan fiction, and we this podcast is just us sharing the self-insert fan fiction what we have written. Like, I mean, Alex Woodward's thing. Like that's literally just him putting us in the game and then hitting simulate and saying what happened for crying yeah. out loud. It's just. The, the the fun yeah it's fantasy the fun's in the story uh, and with that said I feel no guilt in saying that I have used this glitch in my save uh, because it was boo. a I mean not boo, boo. So, shun him shun him <laughs> we'll, we'll get into well we won't get into more detail later I'll explain myself more later uh, but it was the January transfer window um, I was panicking because I wanted a new goalkeeper. Uh, I just sold my I sold my starter in the summer, and I was like, "It's fine. I'll rely on my backup. He's a good young kid, good prospect." And then we'd not had a great season, and so I panicked and I went and wanted to sign this really good goalkeeper. But the team that I was trying to buy him off would not say yes without a sign replacement player first, and it was like transfer deadline day. I was not getting; they were not getting a replacement player, so. I used the glitch, but then what I did, because I felt bad, is I set the fee after 20 appearances to his value of £35 million. So I'm, I'm buying him for £35 million. I just used the glitch to get around them forcing me, forcing me to not buy him. It's it's okay, towels. No one cares. Just you know, you've let your fans down, and that's all that matters. Yeah, and that, that's <laughs> you've all let that the fans down. <laughs> you've let the podcast down. But most importantly, you've let yourself down. And the funniest thing is, he sat on the bench the entire year because the goalkeeper I'd been playing 
suddenly decided to start playing really well as, like through the second half of the season. He just picked up in form massively. So I used this glitch to panic by a goalkeeper who I then sat on the bench the entire year. I mean, no, it's it's more than fair. It's for Joe Montana, Steve Young, put a stick of five up his... He, he, I bet he feels like Mark Travers getting recalled by Bournemouth just to go and play for their under-23s instead of playing in the championship for Stoke. I mean, in all fairness, means you don't have to be in Stoke anymore. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's a benefit for anybody. Yeah. Oh, Where dear. football right. goes to die. <laughs> As someone who's watched Stoke live this season, yeah. Anyway, let's get into the saves then. We'll start with Alex Tam Brown as we normally do. Um, what have you been up to recently? Well, I'm, I'm glad we're moving from the Neanderthals of Stoke to the Neanderthals of North Yorkshire. Um, <laughs> Everyone loves woo. a Neanderthal in North Yorkshire. Well, uh, Big Big Baz, who was previously mentioned on the last uh, episode of the podcast, will be quite happy. Um, so I, we were in the Northern Counties East League Division 1, and I told you that Retford had won the title and we'd slipped into the playoffs. Uh, we did lose the playoffs, so we stayed another year in the Northern Counties East League Division 1 going into 2027-28. And I thought, well, I I need a striker, okay? And this guy came through at Gillingham and had just been released on a free transfer, and I thought, oh, he looks all right. I took him on trial. Everything looked good. Um, And he's he's done very well for me. The best thing about him is his name is Richard Brain. So <laughs> those of you who can twig, uh, obviously that translates as dick brain to yes. every other scenario, <laughs> which is just perfect. Either or, he had um, an interesting start. He scored nine goals in 20 games as we went up, which was a good achievement. Um, but still, I would have liked to have won the league by more points, if that makes sense. Um mm. Either or. We, spoiled. Um... <laughs> I can't believe I'm being called spoiled about this. Um... <laughs> Either or. We we won the league with 78 points, which was, a, I think, a really good, um, really good points total. We won 26 games, right? And we lost. <laughs> we lost 18, and we still went up. Because everybody else in the league was just complete, it was just taking points off one another, and the people in the playoffs were in with what I think it was sixty nine points at the end. Like that was the cut off, sixty nine points. So it wasn't exactly like it was a hugely um, like runaway season for us. Um, it, we just happened to be the best of the rest of the teams, and I think the the team that went down was. Um, had like 40 points i'm look i'm looking because as the years have progressed i've been turning the leagues off as i go up so that my game goes faster or keeps the same speed so i can't go and look back at the division i'm having to look at my domestic leagues on the history tab so that went well um we did manage to win a different honor as well we managed to win the northern counties east league cup as well which was a a very happy a crowning achievement for me is it was the first piece of and I'm going to say major in inverted commas silverware that we won beating Retford United no that's not the Retford that went up that's their rivals that we we managed to beat so it was a bittersweet as at least anyway that meant obviously we got promoted into the Northern Counties East League 
Premier Division, where we stormed it. Uh, okay. And uh, Rob Brain had... Uh, Rob Brain? Richard Brain. I'm try- I was trying not to swear for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, Richard Brain had a fantastic season for us. I'm just getting him up now because he no longer plays for us. Spoiler alert. Um, he scored 30 in 40 games for us. Which That's was not bad. Chef's kiss. Uh, we we were HMS Pistol League, I, I won't lie, in that season. So we ended up finishing first uh, with 38 games played and 36 wins. Bada bing, bada boom. The problem was, we still, because of our ground, <laughs> still not being of plus a thousand people being able to come, we weren't making any revenue. So we couldn't turn into a semi-professional team like most teams at the Northern Premier League level. So we were an amateur club at the Northern Premier League Division 1 East, which is the eighth tier of English football. Most clubs there are semi-professional and do play, pay their players. We, we were just on amateur contracts. So we were losing loads and loads of players and we were having to just replace them through the season. So there was just a high turnover in the squad. Um, because we also won the NCEL, NCEL Cup again. So players were getting the reputation, but pl- because teams kept seeing zero on their value, they kept just signing them straight off the bat. And this is important later, and you will you will see why. I've already explained it to the two guys off air. Um, but they ended up going to join a, the same handful of teams who then were progressing up the leagues, at a fast, uh, well, at a, a rate that was preceding us, and it leads to a very interesting national league division uh, when we get to the the current start of I say the current start, the current stage of the save. So Northern Premier League Division One East, despite the turnover in the amount of players, we mirrored our Northern Counties East League uh, record getting 36 wins from 38 games and dropping uh, a total of four points across the league. We scored 107 goals and we conceded, well, 32, which I I thought was good, but also I I would have liked it to have been lower. Either or, I'm, I'm complaining about nothing much, really. Up we go again to the Northern Premier League and we, we struggle a bit more this time. We ended up finish and I'm going through this quite quickly because I just want to explain the madness that I've accidentally created and also a team because of something in the database that shouldn't be where they are so uh, Northern Premier League we struggled a bit but we ended up managing to finish uh, in fourth which meant we could qualify for the playoffs to get into the National League North for 20 well this is 29-30 so it would have been the National League North for 2030-31 we did all right uh, we drew the first leg um, at home and we managed to win the second leg away against a team that had followed us up through the um, divisions, which was Retford United. So having beat them in the NCEL League Cup in 2028, they just come up with us every single season. Um, but this was when we ended up departing because we ended up going and winning the playoff final to get into the north to the National League North for 2030-31. This is where it gets 
interesting because we are just about to start the season and I want to cover this in I want to have kind of sections of of my save on each podcast so the proper doldrums of non-league were the first episode the semi-professional side of non-league has been in this episode and hopefully we can look to get professional at some point in the future but we have managed to turn semi-professional which means I can start to pay my players and not just rely on giving them a biscuit at half time. <laughs> um, but it also, because we were amateur in the whole of the Northern Premier League, we were losing players. There was a huge changeover. Um, Rob Brain since went to... I keep saying Rob. <laughs> Richard Brain keep, uh, went to Oxford City in the Anarama National League South and ended up getting them up into League Two. So he was obviously a good potential player that just benefited from playing with us. So on to the the state, I'd say, of the national uh, of the national league. Um, I can't remember which one of you I told about this, but um, so we had ended up selling a lot of our players. Mm. And if you were a fan of the football league from two thousand and four to about 2011 you'll recognize oh, wow. quite a few of these teams <laughs> I, I, th- I thought alex uh alex woodward would be able to put his name out there <laughs> so um afc Ruch- rushton and diamonds who went bust oh, i wow. think in 2011 have made it back into the vanarama national league berry are back in the national league macclesfield have made it to the national league as well um we're in the Vanarama National League North and a lot of these teams were poaching our players but my favourite ones are the fact that Cadbury Athletic the team of the famous Chocolatiers are in the Vanarama National League somehow (laughs) yeah yeah definitely (laughs) those famous Chocolatiers Uh, (laughs) um, for all of you people who live on an island somewhere don't feel left out because Guernsey and Jersey have also made it to the Vanarama National League. Incredible. Uh, the two old, the two oldest football clubs in the world, Hallam FC and Sheffield FC, have also made it into the National League. South Shields are in there. Uh, Walton and Hersham, who had the youngest football club owners a few years ago, have made it into the National League, although they were only two promotions off, as were Macclesfield. And I think most of these were only about four or five promotions off. We were seven from where we are now I think and my my favourite one is a a team called Dial Square who were formed in protest at Arsenal wanting to join the Super League and they set up a club and they because we took one more season than them have been literal HMS Pista Leagues and they have (laughs) gone up every single season that they've played which has meant that they've made the National League before us by virtue of us losing in the playoffs in 2027 in the northern no in the northern counties east league division 1 what i'd like to think has happened is that the Super League actually did go ahead in this universe and all of the Arsenal players went to Dial Square because as philosopher Bruno Fernandes once said, dreams can't be by. So they all decided to go to, to Dial Square and, and they've been rocketing up the league since. They got Martin Erdegaard in central midfield yeah. in, in the lower leagues. <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. It's 2031 and Martin Erdegaard is just 
still playing balls through for Gabriel Jesus and yeah, Kai Havertz. Exactly. They're all old Pot now, shot but pod still is, they're is following Dow Square FC now, not Arsenal. <laughs> It, it, Talking about their inverted wing backs, yeah. it's, an, it's an amazing. They've, we'll they've, come on to this later. But uh, Martin Odegaard is still playing for Arsenal in 2033 in my save. Um, I'm not sure. He might be playing for Dial Square in mine. I don't know yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's no, just he assume is, he is a not Jack. Yeah, he he is playing for Arsenal. I'm afraid, Aww. but it, the head cannon works. The head cannon works. Um, my favourite part about this save has been the fact that I've had to completely... I've had to experiment tactically because um, the one centre-back formation that I was trying to implement wasn't working. So I had to go, and I can't believe I'm having to say this, I had to go to four at the back and play a normal style of football, which is why we ended up starting to do so well. It was a 4 2 3 <laughs> Please don't kill me. It was a four-two-three-one Gagan press. So, yes, that's it. I, I'm, I've decided to start using I'm base in tactics. No position to criticise <laughs> you for that. But uh, my favourite part about this is the fact that um, Sheffield United are now in League Two, Christ. which means that Chef it means that Sheffield FC and Sheffield United are within touching distance of each other in the in the football league pyramid. Um, Unfortunately, there's not been any interesting um, teams that have made the Premier League yet. Um, there is a team that has gone quite f- well, a lot further than most would expect them to do, which is uh, Maidstone United. Okay, who have made League One? Wow! Of all of all leagues, yeah. I remember also I left the the last episode of this podcast on a bit of a cliffhanger as to who was going to win the FA Cup. Harrogate Town won the FA Cup <laughs> as a non-league side. Fantastic. Um, unfortunately, because they were still a non-league side when they played in the Europa League the next season, they were... How, how to put it nicely? They they were thrashed in that league system. They finished bottom and absolutely tanked the English coefficient for one season, which meant that they didn't get five teams in the Champions League. So... Maybe Harrogate Town fixed English football. Who knows? <laughs> um, the but the the, be- the best part about this save, I think, has actually been the turnover of the players so far. I've not managed to get attached to anybody, so all all's well that ends well. Maybe I mean Jude Bellingham's off playing in Saudi Arabia. I don't know why I got a notification for that, but he's off playing in Saudi Arabia, and Paris Saint Germain haven't won a Champions League yet, so everything's. I think everything's hunky-dory. In all fairness, I think you will know if and when Jude Bellingham joins a Saudi Arabian club because you'll be able to hear me swearing from where you live. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a, that is true. Um, League One is looking like really tasty. So there's Rotherham, Oldham have made it into League One as well. By the way, uh, Chesterfield. So there's a lot of national league sides that have done quite well. But on the other hand. There's also a lot of teams that haven't done well. Um, So the biggest team, or the biggest fallers, should I say, are actually... um, Where are they now? Yeah, there we go. So Sheffield United weren't the biggest fallers. Swansea City were, who now play in the Vanarama National League North, and we're going to have to take them on this season. They... 
I think they went into administration when they got relegated to League One and they've just been in absolute free fall. Um, but this is also an interesting part of this league. I mentioned about how a team wasn't properly set in this database, which is a wonderful uh, database by Dan FM Databases. I'm not criticising it. This is just something that has been overlooked. Um, so basically, in the pyramid, your under-21s team, if you're a big enough club, can sometimes play further down in the pyramid, but they are normally blocked from promotion in the advanced rules of the pre-game editor. Uh, and unfortunately, this team's reserves team hasn't, which means that in this Vanarama National League North, not only am I taking on Swansea City, but I'm also taking on MK Dons' under-20s side <laughs> for some unbeknownst reason to me. Jesus Christ. Uh, well, look on the bright side, at least you get to visit Milton Keynes. <laughs> Yeah, big Baz is definitely going to be happy going around all those roundabouts. Oh, um, it's fantastic. an it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, national league north because Scunthorpe are there, Stockport, Scarborough, Chester, um, Darlington, all of clubs that have played in the um, in the EFL. Um, Kidderminster Harriers are there as well as are Barrow, FC United, and Manchester have made it. Um, I think these this team was the worst performing team in National League history. Chorley have also made it back into the Vanarama National League North. Uh, but also a team that has followed us up through the divisions. Not in our specific division, but uh, Staffordshire Victoria have also made it into the Vanarama National League North after coming up from the Staffordshire County Senior League Division 2 North, which was about the same level that we were playing at in 2023-2024. So, overall, the save is going alright. There's nothing really to talk about because I'm not winning anything major and you don't want to hear about the fact that I've beaten Retford United in the in the in the regional leagues of England, you want to hear about me beating MK Dons' under twenties team, which will be hopefully in the next episode. And if I lose both games to them, I'm quitting. <laughs> that is entirely reasonable. What a lovely break! I've got a drink now. Right. So, when I left you, um, it was January 2030, and I was at Aston Villa in the Championship. Uh, It is now June 2033, and I'm not in the Championship, and I'm not manager of Aston Villa. So, let's talk through how we got to where I am now. So, the last half of the 2029-30 season um, went really quite well for Aston Villa. Um, We... Ended up winning the championship with a record-breaking points total of 118 points from 46 games. Winning 38 games, drawing 4 and losing 4. So that's not bad. We then obviously got promoted to the Premier League. In terms of transfers, I signed a defensive midfielder called Opiemi Okoye from Club Bruges. I swapped him. It was 24.5 million plus... Um, Leslie Ikajogwu, who I picked up from Chelsea the year before. Um, I also bought an American, well, he's English, but he was from America, called Christian McFarlane, who starts the game at New York City uh, for 18 million to play as backup left back. Um, 
I also spent £2 million on a striker from Spal, who I loaned back to them in Italy. Uh, and then my big boy signing was Martin Bacharina, uh, who was a Croatian midfielder. In real life, is at Dino Zagreb. In my game, he moved to Napoli in the January 2024, um, where he played for four years and didn't really get any game time at all. Then uh, Real Betis picked him up for four million, and he was a very good La Liga standard midfielder. And then we spent fifty million on him uh, to bring him in and play him as just a because we needed like a bit of pizzazz in midfield, and Bacciarino provided that for us. He, what well, to be fair, he wasn't that amazing. He got two goals and five assists. Uh, and an average rating is 6.85, which isn't great for like a so-called attacking midfielder, but I did play him mostly as a deep-line playmaker, so I can't be too annoyed. Oh yeah, I also signed Jay Stansfield on a free, um, because I'd lost, I sold a couple strikers, and he'd been released from Millwall, and so I was like, he's a good third-choice striker who I can make a fringe player and he's not going to cry. So that's exactly what I did. In terms of outgoings, um, Omar Kader... Uh, was sold to Monaco for 54 million after um, spending the season in the championship out on loan because he was a Champions League quality player. Same for Abel Ruiz, who went to a PSV for 36 million. Miles Lewis Skelly went to Middlesbrough for 10 million after we picked him up from Arsenal for a free, uh, which is an excellent piece of business. And then some other signings that we sales that we don't really care about. Oh yeah, I also loaned out Hayden Hackney. So Hayden Hackney in the championship, got 9 goals and 12 assists in 42 games. Then, instead of playing him at all in the Premier League, I replaced him completely with Martin Bacciarina, and I just flogged him to uh, Ajaxio in um, France, who took him on loan and played him sometimes. Also, uh, fan favourite, and by fan favourite I mean me favourite, Oswin Apollis, who you may remember from right at the beginning of the save, I picked up for Cape Town Spurs, and he was amazing for Cape Town Spurs. And then I signed him for Aston Villa from Cape Town Spurs. He kicked up a hissy fit because he wanted a new contract, but he wanted a new contract where he was a regular starter and he was a good championship player. So I was not going to give him regular starter. So I just let him leave. Uh, and by let him leave, I loaned him to Portugal where he played for Aruca in the Portuguese Premier Division. Uh, and then, yeah, that's about it. He just stayed mad. Very sad. That season went very, very well. Uh, we ended up finishing fifth in the Premier League in our first season back, which, as we all know, qualifies you for the Champions League because the Premier League always gets one of those coefficient spots. Uh, we got sixty-nine. The Premier League Sorry. always gets one of those spots unless Harrogate win the FA Cup. Yes, unless Harrogate win the FA Cup, of course. Um, Aston Villa won the Champions League. No, we didn't. We won that European spot with 69 points from 38 games. Just one point behind Chelsea in fourth. We could have, we were properly, properly in the race for fourth place, but just fell short. Um, Avramides had a great season. If you remember him, he was the striker who I signed in the January of the championship season and came in as just immediately like a European quality striker signing for me in the championship. Uh, He got 18 goals in 32 games for an average rating of 7.05, just... Absolutely battering the Premier League. Very, very good player. Um, And then, at the end of that season, after Finneritz doing fifth with Aston Villa, I left. 
because the Bayern Munich job was available. Uh, and so I applied for it and I joined Bayern Munich. Um, they had just finished third in the Bundesliga the season before I joined behind RB Leipzig and Borussia Dortmund. So Leipzig won the league, Dortmund finished second, Bayern third, which was enough for Mikel Arteta to be sacked as Bayern manager. Uh, and I came in as his replacement. When I arrived at Bayern, we had a big old shake-up to do in terms of transfers. We had, lot, we had lots of players that were ageing and on expensive contracts and who didn't want to be here anymore who, or I didn't want them. So we had lots of players to get rid of. Um, let's just run through the list. Um, I sold Matthias De Ligt to Al-Akhli uh, for £40 million. I sold Kim Min-Jae to Al-Halal for... T- Ten million pounds. Uh, Kim Min Jae was thirty-four at the time. Delict was thirty-one. Delict was thirty-one. I sold Adrian Truffer, left back, to Spurs for thirty million. I sold Nico. The uh, he came through at Barca, went to Porto, Bayern picked him up from Porto, and then I sold him back to buy Barca for sixty-five million pounds, uh, which was an excellent deal. Um, I also sold some dead wood because there was a, a lot of dead wood. Um, Bent Dardai, uh, Alex Woodward, you'll know the name. Yep. Uh, Hetta Berlin player in real life. Uh, I sold him to Southampton for £7 million, where he's immediately gone and been one of their better players. And then I loaned out a lot of players. Um, Kefram Toram was a buying player in my save who didn't want to play for us anymore and I didn't want him. So I loaned him to... Sporting Lisbon, they paid all his wages and then he left for free at the end of the season. Similar story for um, Nicholas Sattelberger, who in real life is at... I have no idea where he's in real life because he spawned into the game at Rapid Vienna in 2025 when I loaded the Austrian leagues into the game. So Christ knows where he is in real life. Um, but he was at Bayern uh, and he got loaned to PSG, who had a option to buy him but then Man City just picked him up at the end of his contract which is annoying and then the rest of them are players that don't actually exist in real life so I'm not going to run you through a bunch of regen names you don't care about. That meant I'd sold both of my starting centre-backs and just a let go a load of fringe players and I wanted to bring in some guys to refresh the squad. Um, I spent £333 million in my first transfer window, which is quite a lot of money. Um, £80 million of that was on Adamilson Fernandez, who you might remember was my centre-back for Aston Villa uh, in the Championship. I loaned him from Manchester United. He then went back to Man United as a starter for the Premier League in 2030-31. I then spent £80 million to get him off Man United and play him at Bayern Munich. Um, He's really good. I then spent £70 million on Shinji Ikeda, who by the stats is one of the best centre-backs in the world, and then you realise he is a 5'8 bloke with 8 jumping reach. And I did not realise that until I'd already given Newcastle £70 million for the pleasure of having him. Uh, He can also play right-back, he's a natural right-back, but at right-back is uh, the regen named Rodolfo Leonardo, who is a four-and-a-half-star right-back for Bayern Munich, what, probably the best right-back in the world, and my captain. So I can't really play Lakeda there. I also signed Ansu Gomez, who is 
from Porto for fifty million pounds, and he is one of the best players I've had on FM. Like you, he's a striker who is also natural at um, attacking midfield and also accomplished in central midfield. And he's a four and a half star player in all of those positions. He's lots of like look at the stats that you want for a striker, and they are green. He's ridiculous. Um, I signed him at 20, he's now 22. The only reason, he, he finished like 5th in the voting for best player in the world. And the only reason why he's not worth about £300 million is because his reputation for some reason isn't that high. Uh, in his first season, he got 20 goals and 5 assists in 27 league games. He's that good. Um, Justice Fran is a regen who I picked up from... Herter for twenty for thirty million to be a backup. I also bought Nelson Ojo, who had won the um, next gen award uh, from Sporting in Portugal. Uh, paid thirty million pound for the pleasure. Immediately loaned him to Dusseldorf, where he played one game, and then I sold Truefair, so he came in to be my backup left back to a aging Alfonso Davis. Continuing the Wonder Kid train, I signed a load more random guys. Uh, the not- most notable being Juan Carlos Padilla, who was ridiculously good. I brought him in from Oviedo for £27.5 million, his release clause. I then loaned him to RB Leipzig, so one of the other best teams in the Bundesliga, where he went in and was a starter for them, because he-, he wouldn't have been a starter for us because we had a ridiculous amount of attacking talent. Can I ask a question? Did he score against you in a Bundesliga match and then did you complain to the press about the fact that he was allowed to start against you even though you were the person who loaned him to Leipzig in the first place because that would be a really stupid thing to do, Thomas. I mean, Alex. Uh, no, he didn't actually score against us but he did play twenty. He did get six goals and four assists with a 7.09 average rating in 21 games for Leipzig. So he was doing very well for himself um, and then he He's come back in to Bayern this season and slotted straight in as my attacking left, as my starting left winger. Uh, he's very good. I also signed Dian Ramage, who is a real player, which is why I'm mentioning him, off of Hertha to be my backup goalkeeper because I didn't have one of those. I then won the league. I'd say it as Canter, but that would be a lie. Um, we won with 81 points from 34 games, 26 wins, 3 draws, 5 losses, which is quite a few. Um, Dortmund were 3 points back on 78, and a big old drop-off to Wolfsburg in 3rd on 61. This was with a very star-studded side, featuring the likes of Jamal Musiala, um, Matisse Tell, who has been at Dort- been at Bayern for years and years and years, um, Marcel Weinig, who in real life, I, Christ, I have no idea where he is in real life, but uh, in my game, I'd been at Bayern for a few years uh, and was doing very well after they picked him up from Antwerp. Alfonso Davis is still here, and we have Antony Trubin, who you may know as the Shakhtar goalkeeper, who uh, went to Benfica this summer in real life. Bayern picked him up in 2025 for £70 million, and he's just been one of the best goalkeepers in the world ever since, including this summer when I sold him for £60 million to Newcastle, which was a mistake. Um, Basically, he put his foot down and was like, I'm going to throw a hissy fit if you don't let me leave because they're going to pay me a lot more than you are. And I was like, 
yes, because we're hemorrhaging money. So I did let him go because he was 31. Um, I also regret letting go of Matthias De Ligt because he was still one of the best centre-backs in the world. He hadn't been particularly deteriorating physically uh, at 31. But I, if I remember rightly, he also wanted to leave, which is why I let him go. And also he was on like 500, 500 grand a week or something ridiculous. Um, so I let him go, but I did regret it. And I regretted it this season because we did not win the league this season uh, in 2032-33. We finished second behind Dortmund, who won it at a canter. So Dortmund won the league with 83 points, which is more than I got last year. We finished second on 72 points, so 11 points back in the end, which is quite embarrassing. It wasn't even a title race. Uh, but I blame this on an absolutely horrific run of form I had in the middle of the season because I had all of the injuries in the world through November and December and Sue Gomez the guy you might remember as one of the best strikers in the world out injured Jamal Musiala out injured my one of my starting wingers Adrian Liich out injured and because it's November December I'm playing Saturday Tuesday Saturday Tuesday Saturday Tuesday so the like 18 players I have that are fit are playing every single game the same starting 11 and they just got knackered and got shite and so through November and December we lost to Ajax, Barca and Juventus in the Champions League Um, we lost to Eintracht Frankfurt, Wolfsburg and Dortmund in the league uh, and only won games against Dusseldorf and Hertha in the league and a 3-0 win against Hansa Rostock in the DFB Pokal. But even that, we needed extra time for that. It was nil-nil after 90 minutes, and we had to bring on the big guns to do one over Hansa Rostock in extra time. We were that bad. We couldn't beat Zweite Bundesliga Hansa in normal time. Uh, it was well, at least you made time. their fans sad. At least I made their fans sad. Yeah. Can I ask a question, Ben? I'm mm-hmm. guessing you at no point went into the dressing room and said, clearly you guys are not as good as I thought you were and I'm going to have to reduce myself to your level because that would be a really stupid thing to say, Thomas. I mean, Alex. No, I didn't say that, um, but I did oh, get quite sad. Uh, and um, You might notice I didn't really talk about any transfer incomings this season. That's because there weren't many. Um, there were two major signs... Well, Yes, two major signings. Um, Leandro Harrenbrock is a wonder kid who I picked up from Schalke for £60 million. Slots in as my starting defensive midfielder at 18. I also picked up everybody's favourite football manager wonder kid this season, Rooney Bargy, um, who Liverpool had on the transfer list for £35 million. I said, thank you very much. Um, he came in to replace Lille Abada, who was my starting winger, but wanted to go to Saudi Arabia and was 31 years old and I could get 50 million so I didn't I wasn't gonna care um who else did I let go I let go of Trubin and I also let go of Alfonso Davis because he also shat the bed saying that he wanted to leave when Chelsea made a bid of 40 million pounds and his contract was up at the end of the year and he was never going to sign a new one so I just let him go um which meant that Nelson Ojo who I'd planned to loan out to Dusseldorf um the year before and was like at best like a decent Bundesliga player was suddenly my starting left back and I was hemorrhaging money so I just kind of stuck with that 
I did sign a centre-back to replace Ikeda. I signed Sergio Cipriotti, who was a wonder kid Argentinian, came in at 18, he's now 19 at the end of the year, and he's still, like, across the board worse than Ikeda, but he can head a football, and that's all that matters, and he's six foot one, which is a respectable height for a centre-back. Um, my actual best centre-back pairing has been Cipriotti and Ikeda together. Fernandez has been dropped because... Unfortunately for him, he doesn't enjoy big matches, which meant he's been roundly shite whenever it's actually mattered. So I'm actually looking to replace him this summer. Um, but yeah, the big mistake I made was letting Trubin go because I replaced him with Noah Hansen, who is a good Bundesliga goalkeeper who I'd had out on loan at West Brom in the championship the year before, where he'd done very well, but like he wasn't ready to be my starting keeper. And he was not very good in the run where we lost a lot of games. And so I was panicking a little bit going into January with about £200 million of transfer budget burning a hole in my pocket. So I made two really big signings. I bought Neo Ost, who is one of, if not the best right midfielder in the world, from Lazio for £114 million. And he wanted £475,000 a week. So I said, sure, um finances be damned i'm buying munich i also bought barnabas lendvai from volvic in the netherlands um and this is the guy who i used the transfer glitch for so currently it says i paid 1.2 thousand pounds for him which is quite funny um lendvai is on paper a better goalkeeper than hansen and he's got more potential than hansen he's younger than hansen as well so and also Hansen is wanted by Barcelona. So if Barcelona come and offer me 50 million for Hansen, that is honestly the best possible way this can go because I will just play Landvai. He can now speak the language and everything will be fine. Um, my saving grace, or so I thought, in this save would be the Champions League because despite losing to Juventus and Barcelona, we scraped through into the league phase qualifying round. Uh, the playoff round, that's it. Uh, where we beat Villarreal in February. Uh, we then managed to get our revenge on Juventus in March, a 3-3 draw at home, and then we beat them 2-0 away. And at this point, I was thinking we could actually win the Champions League here. Uh, and honestly, I was getting kind of bored of this save. So I thought, yeah, let's win the Champions League this season. I can wash my hands of it. We won the Bundesliga last year, who cares? We then beat PSV in the quarterfinal. Uh, we beat... we. Really racked up the goals uh, away from home. We beat them 5-0, all five goals coming in the first half. So at this point, I was properly, properly confident. But then in the semi-final, we came up against Arsenal. We actually beat them at home 3-2. We went 2-0 up, then they pulled it back to 2-1, went 3-1 up, and then they scored in the 91st minute to make it 3-2. So a little bit nervy going into the away leg, but I was pretty confident given we had a lead. But then they batted us 4-1, uh, and that's very sad. So no Champions League this season. Um, at this point, Dortmund had already won the league, so I was fully in on the Champions League. Uh, we did manage to get one over on Dortmund in the DFB Pokal, though, beating them in the final 2-1, so we don't go home trophyless. Uh, there's one more player I forgot to mention, and that is Roque Molina, who I picked up for £8.5 million off Rosario Central. He is a wonderkid Argentinian striker who has knocked Matisse Tell off his perch. Um, the system I'm playing is a 4-2-3-1. So I've got um, Molina up front, and then a three behind him of Musiala, who at 30 is one of the best players in the world. Ansu Gomez, who at 22 is one of the best players in the world, and Neil Ost, who at 24 is one of the best players in the world. So that is a ridiculous front four. 
Gavi is my is in my holding midfield alongside Harren Brock, the Wonder Kid holding mid. Uh, then a backline of people I've already mentioned and Lenvi and Goal. This team is absolutely good enough to win the Champions League, but if I get racked by injuries again, I'm not sure if I'll be able to pull it through. And I'm kind of getting bored of this save. So my question is, should I stick with it? Give it another season. See if I can win everything next year. Or do I go and play one of my other safe ideas that I've got? Thoughts? I think long term you'll be you'll you'll be happier if you actually yeah. complete you, this. Save. You don't want to feel mm. incomplete. It's a lovely sort of piece of advice for life. Art. You don't want to feel incomplete. <laughs> That's true. And I and uh, since we last recorded, I've got myself a shiny new laptop that can run Football Manager much faster than my old one. So I know that I can. If I actually sit down and do it, I can get through this game a lot quicker. Like in preparation for recording today, I played the entirety of February to May of this save yesterday over the course of about is ten it hours. Just me, so, right? And I know this is a very weird question and a very odd tangent to go on, but does that January May period seem to go quicker than that kind of August to December no. period? Yeah, I'm. I'm the opposite. I, I... <laughs> it's probably because I I have really? bigger games at the end of. The... See, it feels like the games are bigger, so it, they feel more important. And I I think the fact that I'm not thinking about how I'm going to change my side of a January window, if at all, means that it's it's mm. you. I, I focus on the end of the season. As soon as the windows closed in January, I'm like, right, it's now just pushing to the end of the season now. And so for me, it feels mm. way longer than the opening half, which always feels quite fast. So I, I lean slightly more towards Tamp Brown. I think mm. partly because I was starting to get quite bad save burnout in mm. the first half of this season, especially during that bad run, which made it feel longer than it actually was. But also, like I tend to find... With it being like towards the end of the season, especially at like a big team like this in the running, I get that like just one more game kind of thing a lot easier. So like I will find myself more often mm. playing through until like two AM when it's like the end of the season in the running. Just trying to get through, get through to the end of the season. I'll just play a lot quicker. Whereas I'm a bit more laissez-faire about it in the first half of the season, so I think I agree with Tam Brown, yeah. not because I, but because I literally do play it quicker. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think the main thing for me this year that might have reinforced that as well is that without wanting to give anything away, it's been fairly clear for most seasons on this year's save where I'm going to finish by the halfway stage, at least within two or three positions. And so, particularly this year, which I'll talk about during my save, it was obvious that I was going to finish within a certain number of positions in the league. And so it was just sort of like the the countdown to the end of of the season, obviously, even if I'd won every game, I wouldn't be in Europe at this point because I've only done two seasons. So there wasn't any Europe to focus on. Um, to spoil it a li- little bit, there wasn't the cup either. So 
It was just the the march to the end of the season and looking forward to sort of that that's the other thing as well, actually. I probably look forward to rebuilding the squad in the January in the summer window. Yeah. And so it, it means I'm I'm just waiting for this squad to go away. See, just I love you all. Well, you're, I agree with everything you're saying, but that's exactly why the back half of the season feels faster to me. Because because of all those sentiments, I rush through the back half of the season. Yeah. See, it's the same for me with any other video game, though. If I play the Tour de France game or Pro Cycling mm-hmm. Manager, the second half of a Grand Tour always feels slower than the first half. And either it's because the stakes are raised or because there's no stakes yeah. at all, that it sort of starts to feel slower for, for that reason. Also, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like that's just me, psychologically. Uh, another fun signing, bringing it back onto my save. I, I replaced Alfonso Davis with Luca Nets from Borussia Mönchengladbach. Because I got relegated to the Zweiter uh, and he wanted to leave. And I knew I didn't want to bring in anyone who was better than Nelson Ojo. So um, I brought in Luca Nets, who has very happily sat on my bench and picked up his 96 round a week. Um, but I I do kind of want to bring in someone better than Ojo now. Um, this has kind of been hamstrung because the guy that I wanted who was better than Ojo... Uh, was the Arsenal wing-back, who is probably the best wing-back in the world, who's not Balde at Barca or Alfonso Davis. But he's just signed a new contract. I got an email through not very long ago. Um, So I'm probably going to stick with Nets and Ojo. I also want to get in a new centre-back over the top of Admilson Fernandes. Um, this is because Shinji Ikeda, well, he, oh, he's not anymore, that's annoying. Shinji Ikeda was wanted by a few clubs, and I would very happily have sold him, because he's worth £80 million, uh, and he's probably not one of my first-choice centre-backs now. I think my first-choice centre-backs are Ciprotti and Fernandez. but then I want to bring in someone who is left-footed, but equal to or better than Fernandez just without doesn't like big matches because do you ever have these players that it says doesn't like big matches but then they never actually play badly in big matches Anderson Fernandez genuinely every time it's a big match he plays a 6.3 he's awful in big matches I need to get someone in like as a flat track bully through most of the season he's excellent but I need someone who can not suck in big matches uh, and so I want to bring in someone to replace him. Uh, you might be thinking, Towels, just keep Ikeda and Ciprotti, and I'm probably going to end up doing that if no one wants to buy Ikeda. But Ikeda and Ciprotti, I cannot stress enough that they are the same player, except one of them has jumping reach and is slightly worse at everything else. Um, and so I want to get rid of Ikeda so I can put in Ciprotti, who is younger and will improve and will eventually... If I play Saprotti every game next season, I'm certain he'll be better than Ikeda by this time next year. Um, it's just that, yeah, at the moment, he's technically not. But, yeah, that's where I'm at. I want a new centre-back and maybe a new left-back, but otherwise, I genuinely think the team I've got is ready to win everything in this save. Like, Bundesliga, Champions League, everything. So, from my birthday, January 22nd, to the end of the season, I played 17, 16 Bundesliga games. We drew two, lost one, and won 13. Uh, and if we keep that form up 
for an entire season, which is entirely possible with the team that I've got, we will absolutely 100% win the Bundesliga at Kanta, because that would be like 85, 86 points, which is very, very possible. It's just that we need to have... Um, you know what? Even August, September, October, we were similarly good. I just need to not have a two-month stretch where half my team is injured and the other half are knackered and crap. So I'm quite hopeful for next year. I'm just kind of getting bored of this save. My next save, I've got two ideas. Um, one of them is I want to go and manage Standard Liège. Um, you might remember from last episode that they uh, refused to hire me when I wanted to leave Nagoya, Grampus, the Japanese club. Uh, and so I ended up going to Aston Villa. But I do think Standard Liège in Belgium is quite an interesting save prospect there. About 10 years ago, they were one of the better team, best teams in Belgium, won the league a couple times, but now they are thoroughly mid-table. Uh, and so I want to take them back to like being a European quality side and then you can go from there to wherever. Um, then I also want to do a save with Bradford City uh, because getting Bradford back to the Premier League sounds like fun. Yeah, I, th- I think keep at it because mm. the, the underlying stuff is there. Like you have your squad and your you as a manager have the potential to do it. It's just a case of it's annoying when you you can't do it, but then the victory is so much sweeter when you do do it. My squad is like so deep, it's ridiculous. But my my starting front four I've mentioned, but then my backup front four is Rooney Bargi, Noah Darvic, who is a, a real player. Oh, he's at Barcelona, I believe, in real life. You can sign for them from Freiburg, which is strange. Um, Padilla, who I mentioned, is like an absolutely incredible world-class left winger, is on my bench. And then Matisse Tell, who I'm sure listeners will be aware of just how good he can get in this game. And he is my backup striker to Roque Molina. I've got a absolutely stacked, stacked squad. I have a suggestion. If you, if you are looking for teams to manage um there was this podcast that did like best teams to manage on fm24 i can't for the life of me remember what it was called oh yeah that was us but... oh yeah what do you know what now you say <laughs> it it was us it was us and now i remember right <laughs> yeah i'll stop yapping i'll stop yapping i've been yapping for half an hour in this incredibly hard to follow way but yeah the be all and end all is I'm at Bayern Munich now. The save will be done soon. I've played 10 seasons and I'm getting bored. Let's have another quick break and then Alex Woodward can tell us about whatever the hell he's been doing in Italy. Woodward, takes away. Okay, so starting off with my Sam Amaze save, just to say... And I've told these two already, and I've told everyone I know already, and I'm just going to annoy everyone on planet Earth with it until everyone watches it. I I watched San Remo last week, because it was a San Remo festival, because I managed San Remo Calcio, I thought I'd be fun. I love Eurovision anyway, so watching the San Remo festival was obviously a good idea. Absolutely fantastic, highly recommend. It finishes at quarter to three in Italy, which... but everyone seemed to have a lovely time so i guess i'm not complaining too much and yeah listen to vi by alpha because it was a very good song in my opinion 
Another thing to talk about before I go into the save properly, I was really annoyed because the year after, obviously last time we talked about how I'd just been promoted from Serie C, the year after I was promoted, Siena started playing in Serie C Group B. And I was really annoyed by that because I think Siena used to play in, in the top leagues, I think they've been in Serie A in the past. But the main reason I was annoyed is because Siena is the home of Strada Bianche, which is a famous cycling race that takes place every spring. And San Remo, Milano San Remo, is another famous cycling race. So I thought, oh, we could have the cycling derby, it'll be absolutely fantastic. But unfortunately, we missed out on that by just one year. Not that I'm annoyed that we were promoted from Serie C, because... I didn't really want to be in Series C for another season or for any number of seasons, to be perfectly honest. But anyway, as mentioned on the last episode, we were promoted from Series C to Series B. And because of our promotion, we had to move stadiums from Comunale San Remo. And the board picked Comunale Chiavari to play in which is a bit of a bad decision Kiavari is over 180 kilometers from San Remo so fun and it's three hours on the train to put that in the English context that'd be like Leeds playing their home games in Reading and on last year's podcast what well, last year's podcast like we only do one a year last year on the podcast Alex Tan Brown complained about Tadcaster playing in Tranmere for some of their games. The distance between Tadcaster and Tranmere is 154 kilometres. So this is somehow even worse than that. And that was bad enough as it was. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, I'd, I'd like to uh, argue the point and say that playing, uh, going from uh, rural North Yorkshire to somewhere near Liverpool is actually worse. I will disagree. <laughs> No, because Liverpool is awful. That's fair, but Kiavari's not much better, in all fairness. Kiavari, the Liverpool of Italy. (laughs) I do not not think it deserves the title of the Liverpool of Italy. I think it's worse than that. The Birkenhead of Italy, sure. Which is where Tranmere play. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I said it. The Birkenhead of Italy. Going into Serie B, I was genuinely surprised at some of the players we could get. Like I said, I thought the side were nearly on the verge of being a promotion contender anyway. And then some of the players we signed really helped bolster my confidence in this squad. I signed a guy called Tommaso Barbieri, who was a youth player at Juventus, he had been released, I signed him on a three, I signed Oscar Wilhelmsen, which is a player I've mentioned at least two times this year on the Going Deutsch podcast, if not any times more, because... He rings a bell! Did he come through at Göteborg? Göteborg? I think so. I had him in FM20 at Göteborg, and I wrote about it on my blog which is something that we haven't mentioned on the podcast, but we were talking about during the break. Isn't it great how all this ties together? <laughs> oh, it's excellent. Yeah, so... He was very, very good for me. Yeah, so we joined Darmstadt a few years ago, and he's he's he's, he's okay, but he's like sort of a, a young, up-and-coming striker. He's not meant to be the main guy there. Then again, if you're signing Sebastian Polter, can your strikers be any good anyway? 
I signed Nicola Corrado from Tanana, who became my starting left back. I signed Elliot Matazzo, who you might remember played quite a lot of games for Monaco. And then, well, I don't know what's happened, but he was released by Monaco in 2026 on my save. And I was able to sign him at the bottom of the second tier in Italy for San Remo. He's an unreal Metzala. I didn't play him as Metzala, in all fairness. I played him as a ball-winning midfielder because that's what he seemed to be best at on on my save. In the January window, I'd also signed Clemens Riedel, who who joined from Darmstadt, which I believe is where he is at the moment. Yes. And a regen from Valenciennes in France. My main one that I was most shocked by, and I, I don't know if this is going to really make sense for these two but if you like your spanish football i was able to sign nico melamed who had joined liverpool at this point and last year in la liga for espanol was a really good player and yet he joined liverpool in the 2023-24 season for five million and then just never played. And he agreed to join me in Serie B. He instantly became the best player in the league. I don't think anyone was close to him. I, I was beyond stunned that he'd even accepted joining. Or that Liverpool were willing to let him go to me either. I mentioned signing two defenders in the January window. I should say I signed two defenders. That's what Clemens Riedel and the VGM from Valenciennes are. Because I had sold my starting centre-backs and they were the only big departures through the entire season. I sold Marine Sverko to Osasuna. I, by the way, on the last episode I accidentally called him Martin Sverko. So apologies. I don't know why I made up a tea, but, but I did make up a tea. And Gabriele Guarino went to Crystal Palace so that he could never, ever, ever play. They bought him for six million and then went, oh, we don't want him anymore and transfer listed him. He is, he's still at the club. He's on loan at Bolton. But why? Why to any of that? Complete waste <laughs> of everyone's time and a waste of their money. But I got six million for a defender who wasn't worth six million at the time. So, as I said... I thought that this side could challenge for Serie B promotion immediately. Which brings me on to the question, was I correct? Or did I vastly overestimate my team's ability? I, I have a feeling... I'm going to go with vast overestimation. I have a feeling you were correct. But if you, so, if it, is there playoffs in Serie B? There are playoffs in Serie B, That's yes. how I feel that you'll have made it if you have. So... I'm trying to remember how many teams go through the Serie B playoff now. I think it's I think it's just third through sixth. So you're saying I, I finished third to sixth. Okay. So my final record played thirty eight, won thirty one, drawn six, lost one, ninety nine points in the first season. And he finished seventh. Not um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That would be funny. Unsurprisingly, we won the league at a canter 26 points clear of second place Spezia. Like, a, bad, eh? like I said, the team are actually quite good already. They came in as fifth on the season preview immediately, and then I signed players who, simply put, should not have been playing in Serie B, and I still do not know how I signed some of them. I, I know but... how you, you did it. 
Um, there, it wasn't that glitch. No, no. There was there was this big music <laughs> festival going on in San Remo, and oh, that was it. And they all wanted to go. No, no. Alex Woodward just kidnapped them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is they were already attending, and I kidnapped them from there. They were already in San Remo. They just didn't realise they were going to be jailed there for the next three years. <laughs> well, like I said. <laughs> San Remo Festival might be in San Remo, but we weren't in San Remo. We were in Kiavavi, three hours away. <laughs> Maybe you're still training in Camp San Remo. You just travelled to I mean, Kiwara yeah, in day. all fairness, I think I think a team could just travel. If you really wanted and you're mental, you could probably get... I, I, I don't know if this would be shorter because of how far you're travelling outwards, but you could go to Nice and then fly to the nearest city which brings me on to one of my favorite games of the season i i really like sampdoria they're they're a, they're a great club primarily because there's an article on their website about how much they love st Pauli. and as soon as i see them i'm like you're awesome and, and i love you now so we played sampdoria one of the first games of the season Three thousand six hundred fans were at communale chiavari 2,800 of them were Sampdoria fans. I've never I've never seen a balance like that for a league game. Though, it makes a lot more sense when I tell you that Chiavari is a commune on the outskirts of Genoa, which is where Sampdoria plays. So it was actually a significantly closer trip for their fans, <laughs> probably about 30 minutes, compared to our fans travelling three hours for the home game. <laughs> <laughs> The only time where there's that sort of difference between how far the home fans are travelling in for a game versus how far the away fans are travelling in for a game is when Liverpool host Everton. That's it. <laughs> or Manchester United play Manchester City. Yeah, in all fairness. Those two and literally no- nothing else. We did have a few really good games that season. We started off with a 6-3 win against Citadella on the on the opening day of the season. We also had two 4-0 wins against Brescia, who, by the way, are owned by Massimo Cellino, so take that. We beat Lecco 4-0, Como 5-2, Padova 4-1, Crotone 5-2, Benevento 4-1, and Sampdoria 4-2 on the last day of the season. I also mentioned the Coppa Italia in last month's episode well not to you two because i recorded it afterwards when i realized i'd completely forgotten we started off with a 5-2 win against serie c Cesena, and then we took on monza formerly silvio berlusconi's club which meant i wanted to beat them because berlusconi i'm not gonna get too much into italian politics but you know not great and we did beat them 3-1. That meant in the second round we played Bavi of Serie B and we beat them 2-1. In the third round we were taking on Jose Mourinho's Roma because yes, he is still at Roma in this save in the year 2027 and he's still there in the year 2028 as well which is where I've played up to. And we unfortunately lost 2-0. No one knows these two players. Are they both regents? Oh no, Juan Gonzalez. Is he a person people know? And Vivaldo Semedo. How absolutely fascinating those two are. But yeah, we comfortably got promoted from Serie B. And again, uh, Tommaso Barbieri was absolutely fantastic in the league. 
the annoying thing is I can't get the player's stats up unless I search for them individually because I didn't take any notes about which players were good or not. Eric Lanini played well. I'd signed him the year before, but he had 16 goals in 38 games with seven assists as well. As I've mentioned a few times, Francesco Cervatelli continues to be just unreal, unexpectedly fantastic. It was the first time I was asked this season about how he had improved as a player so much since joining Sam Mesa because for most of his career he's just played in Serie C but he was arguably the best player in Serie B as a ball winning midfielder he had nine goals and seven assists whilst being a really good ball winning midfielder as well and I'm just going to spoil it because I might forget to mention it in Serie A he's still averaging over seven per game and for the run-of-the-mill CVC player, that really shouldn't be possible. It's kind of like I had a save of 1860 Munich where I won the Champions League and the Bundesliga and I was still playing Marco Hilaire in goals because he just could. I could not justify getting rid of him because he was that good through the entire save. And this is kind of what it feels like with Sevatelli in this save as well. He's become a club legend unsurprisingly. It's just a shame he's not being called up for the Italian national team yet. Mm, well. It's probably because they realise that he's a Serie C stand player. Yeah, it, it entirely is. But, you know, it would have been nice. So that brought us on to Serie A. And, of course, this was going to be very different because, funnily enough, I didn't enter the Serie A season thinking, yeah, we can challenge for the league title, even though at this point, through... Four seasons of the save, the lowest I've finished in the league is second. So, you know, we're having a lovely time overall. It's weird, actually, I, I forgot I was going to mention this, how similar it is to my Tennis Borussia Berlin save that I mentioned on the podcast last year because started off in the fourth tier, won the league, stayed a year in the third tier, got promoted in the second year, then went straight through the second tier into the top flight so through four seasons these two have perfectly mirrored themselves in that tennis Borussia Berlin save I think I finished ninth in my first Bundesliga season do you think I bettered that or were worse considering how well you won Serie B and how well I'm trying to use logic here and how well Serie B Mm. teams actually normally fare in Serie A it's not like the Premier League and the Championship. There's actually a bit more equivalence between the teams. Hmm. I'm going to say you might have done around the same. And I know that's a cop-out okay. answer. It's not a cop-out. It's it's a very solid, uh, we finished about ninth prediction. I'm going to say you did better, because I don't think you'd be asking if you did worse. Mm, I don't know. So, the season preview had us finishing in 16th place. Again, obviously, I made a few signings because going into this season, having not would have been beyond stupid. And I was able to get a few really good players. I was able to sign Ilias Chair from League One QPR on a three. So that was good. He'd just been released from his contract. I signed mostly, I think this was the first year where I primarily signed regens, but most of my spending went on on regens who 
obviously no one is going to know. I did sign Cher and Durr from PSG for €3 million. Euros. He'd just come off a loan spell with Swansea City in the Championship. I also signed a guy called Thomas Alacon from Hertha Berlin, who has, well, I'll be honest, not started a game this season because... He plays ball-winning midfielder, and I thought I would need somebody better than Francesco Serratelli to play ball-winning midfielder. But no, no, I, I don't need somebody better than the best midfielder in the club's history, the best player in the club's history. Why am I having him down to midfielder? I don't know. I signed a guy called Franco Tongia from... FC Micheland, he'd been released at the end of his contract. I signed Jonathan Dubasin from Basel. He'd just been released at the end of his contract as well. Xavi Hernandez, not that one. He's, he, his name begins with a J. <laughs> I signed him after he had left Girona. Um, the most notable player I signed, Andrea Bellotti, who had just been released by Roma. He's 34 years old in the save. He was expecting to only be an impact sub. And he has actually played really well. And oh god, he's wanted by everyone. Why, why do Juventus and Atletico Madrid want him? He's not He's not good. He's 34. But he scored nine goals in 36 games, which was his best return since the 2020-21 season with Torino. So, he he played really well overall. So, we started off the season away at Lazio, which, as you can imagine, just my favourite club. Like, I don't think there's any better club in football, and particularly it's the politics that makes them so likeable. <laughs> Just in case it is anyone's first episode, that is the heaviest sarcasm I've ever used in my life. But I was hoping that we'd just draw, I was thinking of parking the bus to be honest, but we did actually win 1-0 against Lazio and that made me very, very happy. Was that the side who Graham Potter were managing? Graham Potter was managing a side in Italy and I can't remember who it was. Oh no, it was Marcelo Gallardo who, who was managing them. He was sat midway through the season. Lazio did offer me a job interview and I laughed at them for 30 minutes straight. And then when I was asked why I turned down the job, I started going on a rant about Italian politics, which lasted about one hour. So you, you'd love it if a, <laughs> if, if a coach did that in their in their press conference just started talking about i mean christian strike of freiburg has in all fairness in the past but you know i'd love to see a bit more of it i think graham potter was at napoli actually he was sacked at the end of the season though rude van nistelroy did a really good job at fiorentina like they were struggling against relegation of the start of the season they ended up fifth only one point behind roma in fourth for most of the season we were ahead of reigning champions ac milan which is to say that we were higher than 12th because they were 12th for most of the season until, <laughs> until the second half where I think they were the best team in Serie A and they ended up finishing the Champions League places. Inter Milan won the league this year, but we would finish 7th and ergo book a place in the Europa Conference League in our first year. And if I don't make big changes in year two, I am very convinced that... 
we are going to have second season syndrome the likes the world has never seen because this squad simply put are really not that good there are a few standout players Gonzalo Barreto of Vigen who plays at right back has been exceptional though there is one small problem with him he played 22 games and had 15 yellow cards (laughs) <laughs> never he never had a red card but obviously it, it was i think through his first 10 games he had nine red cards and nine yellow cards sorry he's not that bad <laughs> but he he did have a lot of yellow so he keeps getting suspended but apart from that he's pretty much perfect it, it, it's like having the tackling ability of david dunn but the aggression of dennis wise <laughs> <laughs> yeah Absolutely. I think Sevatelli was the best player in terms of rating. I signed a regen called Dennis Bonsu from PSV Eindhoven. He was fantastic. Apart from that, I don't think anyone else had more than seven overall as their average rating, which to me, maybe it's maybe it's because I'm spoiled because I've just come off that Leon save, but that's the point where you start considering selling them if if you can. Because I mean, maybe you're spoiled, or maybe it's Maybelline. Sorry, sorry, that's fucking terrible. <laughs> you know, you could have given me a hundred guesses on where you were going with that. I'm doing a reference to the Maybelline, Maybelline commercials. <laughs> it's not where, not where I, I would have gone. Oh, you can tell we're a solid chunk through this recording. Mm. We, yeah. We've always got to have one shit joke during this, and that was it. Outgoings, we actually had quite a lot of. 44 million euros in the end. Just for the record, I spent 15 million euros. But one of the bigger sales I had was Tommaso Barbieri. He was so good in that Serie C, Serie B season, sorry. I was able to sell him to Augsburg for 15 million euros. Now, I want to do a guessing game. He signed a contract at San Remese for one and a half thousand euros a week. What was the contract he signed with Augsburg? Just in terms of per week in Euros, he signed a four year deal. It's either gonna be ridiculously high or low. And I'm gonna go with eight hundred pounds a week or eight hundred euros a week. Eighty thousand. Ninety one thousand a week. Jesus yeah, Oscar Wilhelmsen also left. He went to Hoffenheim, where he has scored one goal in 27 games. Good for him. He he signed a 47 grand a week contract, having been on a five grand a week contract. And my my personal favourite, Elliot Matazzo, left for Wolfsburg for five million, which he was not worth. Bear in mind, at this point, he had played five games in Serie A and averaged a 6.6. They spent... 5 million on him and gave him a 100,000 euro a week contract. I don't think anyone at Wolfsburg in real life is on 100,000 a week. And yet... I wouldn't be that surprised. This is the thing though about Wolfsburg in real life, just to make this for Going Deutsch podcast, is that they love to sign remarkably mid-players for big contracts and for for lots of of money like yeah signing kevin barons this january why he's not scored since august but that was so absolutely fitting of wolfsburg signing elliot matazzo for five million despite him not being worth anywhere near that and then putting him on a one hundred thousand euro a week contract you but bearing in mind he was on 
I think three grand a week with me. So <laughs> for the complete flip of this, actually, we should go back to Francesco Cervatelli because at this point I was worried about losing him. He'd been hinting he wanted a new contract and other Serie A clubs were looking at him. So I decided to enter contract negotiations because I wanted to keep my best player. And he said I want to be a star player, which I was willing to accept because he'd never complained in the past, even when he wasn't playing in patches. I want a four-year contract. Yeah, fine. 825 euros a week. In fact, no, sorry, he didn't ask for 825 euros. He asked for 800, and I couldn't offer it him because it was below the board's minimum. (laughs) So I had to offer him 825 euros a week, and he accepted. He was filled with that contract. Bearing in mind, you know, the highest earner at the club, and I, I guess players sort of know, at least to some extent, what other players are earning. Javi Hernandez is on €17,000 a week, which actually does bring me on to another point. We are spending a ludicrously low amount of money, considering we're in Serie A. The highest spend, I believe, is AC Milan, €298 million Euros a year. Then you look at the, the other side to promote with us Salernitana 39.3 million euros a year Spezia 38.9 million euros a year San Remese 12.4 brilliant it does help that when I enter contract negotiations with players they're like yeah I'll just I'll just take 800 a week please that's <laughs> enough for me which I don't know how because real estate in San Remo is, is ludicrously high but anyway you know it's not the point I just think it's very you um, being able to use your charm and charisma to just negotiate them down to have to having such low expectations anyway, and then go, <laughs> oh, but I have to give you this money. I just have to. Is it is it a good thing that people expect nothing from me, or, or is it a bad thing? No, no. They they obviously want to come and play for you so much that they're willing to oh, take a pay cut. Fantastic. But you're not allowed to actually give them the pay cut. Your strong morals are going through this club. Yeah. Our average attendance this year was 5,587 fans, which is the stadium capacity of Comunale, Chiavari. Technically, we're not allowed to play in that stadium in Serie A. It's under the league's minimum requirements. I think you have to have at least a 12,000-seat stadium, but you are allowed for one year to keep your current stadium. We have announced that we're moving to a stadium, which thankfully is closer to San Remo. I can't remember where it is now. I'd have to get it up and check, but it's a half-hour drive from San Remo, not a three-hour train journey. So that's much better. But we are also finally building a new stadium. The board said that at the beginning of the first Serie A season, and they've now confirmed a site. They're going to spend 35 Six million on it, and it's going to be a twenty thousand seater stadium in San Remo, which doesn't doesn't feel like it's a, a good idea. Like I don't know why it's more than the minimum for Syria. Uh, it's also doubling up as a concert venue. <laughs> in all, in all fairness, I think if they actually try to move the San Remo Festival from the Artisan Theatre, which doesn't look that big in and of itself. I think there'd be hell on. It'd be like moving Glastonbury from the village and moving it to, like, I don't know, Watford. 
don't know why that was the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> but, yeah. It... Imagine Glastonbury in the Watford Gap. Oh, fantastic. Move Glastonbury to Northampton. Fantastic. That, that's what we want, right? I do like how it says that... Well, it sounds like the board aren't actually putting in any money themselves. Despite further, we've got like 50 million euros in, in the bank now because I, I spend far less than I, I sell in terms of transfers. But they're, they're loaning 17.75 million and then they're having a stadium sponsorship deal worth 18.25 million. And I kind of, I, I want to call it the Segafredo Stadium or something like that. I have a proper Italian sort of brand attached to it just for my own fun i am also i i say segafredo because i'm quite annoyed i i a few years ago this is a massive tangent because you know this podcast isn't long enough i bought a trek bike and when i did i thought i'd start following trek segafredo the cycling team but midway through last season segafredo pulled their sponsorship and the company who replaced them is lidl the supermarket and so they're now called, according to them, Lidl Trek. Because they don't want to be called Lidl Trek, because it sounds stupid, apparently. So they, they insist that they're called Lidl Trek. And you've got to pronounce it like that. So I'm annoyed that Segafredo have, have left my life, so I might just name the stadium the Segafredo Stadio Stadio Segafredo. That's better. Or I could name it after Fima, the, the Italian coffee makers. That'd be, that'd be nice. Or you could name it after or yourself. Bialetti. Or name after myself. I have got icon status now at San Remo or San Remo. So the so the that's, Alessandro that's Woodward good. Stadium. Just you know the Alessandro. <laughs> <laughs> please, when we're doing Just the end of this, in with locals. When when we do the end of this podcast, please say uh, that's been Alessandro Woodward. Sure, we, we all need that. What what would be the what would be the German equivalent of Tal's name? Alex. Yeah. Yeah. That's boring. <laughs> yeah. Just just put your name in the in the podcast description with an umlaut over your own. Tools. Tools. <laughs> Alex Tools. Tools. There you go. We got it. And of course Tools. Alex Tam Brown is just Alex Tam Brown because he's playing in Yorkshire. So <laughs> He's playing where he's from. You, yeah. you make it sound like I've gone full Brexit. Okay. <laughs> so, you have. Well, I've not started playing four four fucking two yet. <laughs> yet, yet is the operative word. Four four two is making a resurgence. It's now a, a continental style. I think you'll find. Four two three one is now the the Brexit ball stratagem. <laughs> I guess we should talk about the Copper Italia, even though, and this is true, no one cares about the Copper Italia. I don't think Italians care about the Copper Italia, so why should I? But anyway. We started off with a first-round win over Vicenza of the second tier. We then played Barry for the second time in two years in the Cup, and we won 1-0, and then we unfortunately lost 4-2 to AC Milan in the third round. Noah Okafor, a player who I had at Lyon, scored a hat-trick against me, which I was very sad about. But overall, obviously, a massive success this year. We finished 7th, and therefore, San Remese Calcio, already on the at least European stage for the festival and for the cycling, is now going to be on the European stage as well for football. We love to see it.
let's move on to the Chilean money bags save then. Last year I spent $9.1 billion between the clubs combined. That's where we're going to start again. Did we spend more or less? Less. Bear in mind, I wasn't, sally- I wasn't signing players for every club now. I let most of the clubs just do whatever they wanted. I only interfered with our clubs, uh, with the signings that were mentioned in the last episode, and with the newly promoted sides, just to give them a bit of a leg up. Because, funnily enough, entering this league seems worse than what it's like entering the Premier League nowadays, <laughs> considering <laughs> the players they are. I'd say no, just shy. Well, it was a trick question, to be honest. It was exactly $9.1 billion again. <laughs> is that where the game, like, levels out? This is why Tam Brown... This is why we would said it was a valid answer when you said the same last time, Tam Brown. It was foreshadowing. Yeah. Look at us, building a narrative the... during a podcast. I know, right? Our English teachers would be proud. <laughs> the difference was the sort of how far apart the teams were in terms of spending. Last year it was kind of level, though not really. This year this year was different. Three sides spent over a billion dollars each. I wouldn't they, I wonder they alone they accounted they alone accounted for four point four billion by themselves. That's a lot. One of the teams was newly promoted Santiago Morning, who spent $1.25 billion. They were the third biggest spenders in the league. <laughs> <laughs> Included in their signings were a few players I signed for them. Sergei Milinkovic-Savic joining from Manchester City for $325 million. Rodrigo joining from Real Madrid for $300 million. Aaron Ramsdale for $270 million. And Jamal Musiala for $250 million. I think I forgot midway through that I'd signed somebody for them and therefore I, I counted three of them and then counted another one as well. But apart from that, they also signed Noah Okafor for $55 million, William Carvalho for $33 million, Valdis Hamas for $35 million. In what... Look, I love him because he plays for Rio, but in what world is he worth... One where money isn't an object, I've answered my own question. Jordan Teze from PSV Eindhoven for $31 million, and Josip Juranovic from... Still at Celtic in this save... God knows why. For thirty-one million. They were the third highest spenders, as mentioned. The other newly promoted club, Rangers de Talca, were another one. And it's at this point where the game did something I didn't expect it to ever do. It just flat out refused to do what I wanted. So <laughs> last year I talked about how the way I decided on a player's value was I just took the highest end of their estimated market value and brought them for that much so if a player was valued at 50 to 70 million i signed him for 70 million dollars one player from relegated palestino was valued at somewhere in the region of 330 to 410 million and so i wanted to sign him for 410 million it was going to be the new world transfer record funnily enough and I tried, and it was going to be the big part of this part of the podcast, I was going to say, who became the new world record signing? Because I don't think you would have guessed, but it was Luke Shaw. And I was going to sign him for £410 million, But every time I tried, 
Football manager said, no, I am not signing him for 410 million. He only signed in the end for the mere price of 369 million. Nice. I must have tried this about four times in four different ways, and it still kept going, no, I'm showing him as a 369 million dollar transfer. Which is weird because that wasn't the highest transfer. The new world record instead is Dejan Kulusevski for 395 million from Juventus. They also signed Andrew Robertson for 300 million. And then a lot of their signings, apart from that, are actually quite low. They bought Elijah Adebayo from Luton for 20 million, and that was like their third big, fourth biggest signing. Denis Sicaria, Munis Tabur, Alessandro Florenzi. Radu, and then a load of people on threes, including guys, Nathaniel Klein. Why, I More don't know. But the biggest spenders in the league this year, and it kind of comes back to something we talked about last year in terms of one manager really being eager to open the taps, Hwashi Pato, who spent £1.75 billion that's a lot. Oh, That's a lot. Did I did I say? By the way, I should have said Rangers to Talk spent one point four billion. Washi Pato spent one point seven five. Now, obviously, that was partially my responsibility. I did sign Martin Erdegaard from Arsenal for three hundred seventy five million. I also bought in Alfonso Davis for one hundred sixty million. But after that, my manager. Not me, but in Bubakar Kamara for 122 million, Brian and Buemo for 100 million, Declan Rice for 100 million, Tete for 71 million, Evan Nielsen for 75 million, Mark Rocker, why? You could tell I didn't make that signing for <laughs> 68 million. One that I. One that I definitely would have signed, Leo Erstegaard from Napoli for £65 million, who, just in case you don't know, was on loan at St. Pauli a few years ago, along with Victor Gokrez. Gokrez only scored like twice, I think, for St. Pauli, but, you know, he's gone on to have a good career and I'm very happy for him. So, Leo Erstegaard for £65 million. Roger Ibanez from Union Española for fifty-six million. Jack Grealish for fifty-five million. Jao Mario for fifty-four million. Terral Malasia from Man United for forty-three million. Alessandro Bongiorno for twenty-six million. Hector Bellerin for ten million. I mean, I love him. Fantastic player, but still <laughs> just cool that you don't need this many players. And then two others from Chile who no one's ever heard of. For a combined fourteen million, so one point seven five billion in transfers. That's quite a few. It's it's insane. It's completely insane. But you know, I'm not going to complain. Your managers did not spend anywhere near as much. Which again, I do not know why. Your your managers do not do big signings. My manager. My manager definitely does. I'd like to point out, after, so, uh, after last season's evidence, it's because I'm the most moral out of the three of you guys. <laughs> out of the three of us, sorry. So, it's just obvious as to why I've spent the least. Right. You actually did spend the least as well. You spent $640 million. So, you know, you could have given all of that money to earthquake relief funds as well. You don't have to spend that either. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, no. Mr. $1.6 <laughs> 
1.75. I don't want to correct you to prove your point, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> so, since we're on the topic of Audax Italiano, I signed, as asked, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Ronald Araujo for a combined £490 million. After that, you signed Albert Sambi Laconga from Arsenal for £78 million. <laughs> Why? Is that... Why? Is that... Uh, so not great. No, um, Sa- Sammy is a player who is like he was legendarily not great for Arsenal. He's actually been really good on loan at Luton this season, and uh, my uh, Arsenal nerd friends have been kind of side eyeing his form and wondering if we really do need to sign another midfielder this summer because maybe Sammy can just come in no, and be really good. No, he's but, found um, he's I, found I, his level. And watching him play in midfield it, is like watching Bambi just after his mother has died. It is awful. <laughs> it's, it's a crime to try and watch that man play football. I don't think he's that bad. For 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 title challenges, yes. This is why I find it hard to be friends with Alex Tambrown, because he always sits on the fence on matters. He never gives a solid opinion on anything. But yeah, you spent <laughs> 78 million on him. <laughs> I, you know what? I I, I personally <laughs> pledged to donate seventy eight million to the Earthquake Relief Fund if Sambi turns out to be a fantastic player for me. I've got some bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty games, no Go goals, on, but... no assists, six point three six average rate. Oh. <laughs> Fuck the Earthquake Relief oh. Fund. For a minute there, for a minute there, I thought. Sam Brown was going to have to dip into the old Tory family funds. My God, if I had seventy-eight million lying around, do you think? Do you think I'd be sat here? Yeah, you you won't yeah. have to work. You're going to be your entire life. It'd be great. It'd be a twenty-four hour stream of just this podcast. Twenty-four. Or even when you were well, you'd be paying us to be there as well. Love yeah. That. Nikola Milenkovic from Real Madrid, forty-five million. Ramani from Napoli for 43 million. Ivo Gerbic, which is, is a name I think I know, uh, Atletico Madrid, for. I've lost him. 15 million. Andy Jew from Ren for 14 million. Joe Ellington for 10 million. Jose Cordoba, Kieran Trippier, Florian Neuhaus, Divock Origi. You actually, you loaned a lot of players. You loaned Divock Origi, Daly Blind, Hamza Chowdhury, Gaston Alvarez, Jan Karamoa, and I, I think the guy who might be your favourite player in real life, Tangay Ndombele. I definitely pronounced his name wrong. He's a good player. Tangay Ndombele. He's, a, he's yeah. a good player, but he is contracted to Tottenham Hotspur. So No, he's yeah. not. Is he not on loan at Leon? Yeah, he might be on loan at Galatasaray. Yeah, you know, I think he. I could have sworn he wasn't. I think he is, but either or, he once played for Tottenham, and is thus, nah, dead to me. Oh, see, the thing is, he was legendarily shockingly bad for Tottenham after they spent like sixty million on him. So I think that's quite funny. He's got an over seven average rating for you, so you know, there's, there's that. Well, he's better than Sambi Laconga. Put it that way. <laughs> Just because we're going to come back to this in a bit, Trent Alexander-Arnold, there was a bit of a, I don't want to say controversy, but both of you were looking at signing him, and I said I was going to compare him and John Stones over the course of this season. So just for the record, Trent Alexander-Arnold, oh, Jesus Christ, 
28 appearances, one goal, one assist, a 6.85 average rating. So we'll see if he's better or worse than John Stones. Kikimbo Unido, meanwhile, spent 767 million on their transfers, including the aforementioned John Stones for 370 million, Mike Mannion for 185 million, and then the only other. Oh, you had two big names actually. Presnel Kimbembe from Manchester City for 60 million. And by the way, there were two other clubs going for Presnel Kimbembe. One of them was Kuviko Unido, the other, Aldax Italiano. So <laughs> you beat him to the signing of Kimbembe. 6.82 average rating. Maybe it would have been better if you didn't. Uh, the other big signing you made, Sadio Mane from Bayern for 35 right. million. Why? Just just why? Explain yourself. I, I know that you're not in control of this, but explain yourself. Um, I think that Sadio Mane runs fast. Oh. Um, I was going to make a joke then, but then you'd have to cut it from this, con- yeah. this podcast because it would be slander. So, I don't want to get sued by the very rich Sadio Mane. Because he, he obviously cares what three young lads from yeah. North Yorkshire say about him. 6.83 average rating, so worth it. Yeah. So overall, did John Stones do a better job than Trent Alexander-Arnold? Yes. No. 25 games, 3 goals, 1 assist, 6.98 average rating. Yes, he did. Yes. So Alex Towles was correct to change his mind in the last episode and pick Stones over Alexander-Arnold. So, your guys spent 600 and 700 million about Flashy Pato, 1.75 billion. And then we get to the bottom teams. Deportivo and Oblense spent 188 million. These are the bottom teams. Universidad de Chile spent 175 million. And Union La Calera of Lionel Messi and Patrick Bamford had 145 million in spending. You'd think if you had Patrick Bamford up front, you would say, want somebody else, but no, no, they're, they're happy with their, their Patrick Bamford. They are still expected to finish 11th in the league on the season preview, which is redundant because I know where they finish in the league or approximately. Oh, they did, they did sign a striker. They signed Berlin Bolo from Monaco. So I've, I've heard that, that um, actually Patrick Bamford is running a very successful Chilean football podcast. Called, yeah. my, called my mate's a footballer, but it's actually him and Leo Messi. Yeah, my mate, <laughs> my mate's a footballer. Yeah. Did you see that advert that Leo Messi did for the Super Bowl, where like he no. refuses to speak English? There's a, it's like a ad for like Budweiser or some shit like that, uh, and um, it's Leo Messi playing football on the beach, but he doesn't even he doesn't speak a word of English in it. Like, clearly he's been paid a fuck ton of money to do this. And yeah. <laughs> they can't even be asked to speak, or, like, just say hello. He says hola to the person at the bar. It's very, very funny. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. I'm going to have to watch that. The opening day of the season was absolutely fantastic. Kimbo Unido beat Cobrasal 7-0 and Huashi Pato beat Deportes Copiapo 6-0. The Cobrasal defeat to Kimbo Unido may be a bit easier to understand when you realise that a club who I gave a £1 
billion dollar budget to was starting Caleb Ekuban up front. In I don't what know who that is Tom, Tom Brown definitely does. In what world is Caleb Ekuban starting up front? Side back, Mitch. He used to play for Leeds terribly in the championship. You know that time when Leeds, like 2017, signed a load of random players from overseas? Caleb Ekuban sure. was one of them. Good. Put it this way, he gives John Kevin Augustan a run for his money. So, oh, also, I should say, they had Junior Furpo starting at left back. I'm sure the Copper Cell fans were going, we've seen Furpo, now we're going to off home. <laughs> because <laughs> you got it. But they sold him for £16 million to Real Madrid. Junior Firpo at Real Madrid. Not only funny because he used to play for Barcelona, but also, well, plays, putting it strongly. But he also is Junior Firpo. And there go, him playing for Real Madrid, is objectively hilarious. I can just see that next year, right now. But anyway, outside of that, just to go through the games that our clubs played against each other, Quasi Pato did the double over Audax Italiano. They won both games 3 0 the first time, 1 0 the second time. The games between Kakimbo Unido and Audax Italiano were split. Kakimbo Unido winning 2 0 at Audax Italiano. Audax Italiano winning 2 1 at Kakimbo Unido. And the two games between Quasi Pato and Kakimbo Unido both finished in two all draws. I actually watched the first game. Erling Haaland had a wonderful shot. It's one of the best goals I've seen on Football Manager. It was chipped through by Declan Rice. And it was going away from goal. And he hit it first time. It lobbed over at keep. It was absolutely amazing. But, yeah. Unfortunately, only a point in both of those games for Hwashi Pato. Which I um, was kind of annoyed about. We'll come back to the league in a bit. Because I've actually not finished simming through it on purpose. Because there's something else that took my attention. So to very quickly talk about the other competitions of the Club World Cup. Obviously Deportivo Noblense were representing not only Chile but South America. Having won last year's Copa Libertadores. They lost to Egyptian side Al-Ali 3-2 in the semi-finals. In the Recopa Sudamericana which is the South American version of the Super Cup. Copa Sudamericana winners Curico Unido beat Copa Libertadores winners Deportivo Noblense 2-0. In the Supercopa Easy, which is the Chilean version of the Community Shield, Huashi Pato beat Curico Unido 4-0. So, another piece of silverware for me. In the Copa Chile, this is where it gets very interesting. Kikimbo Unido were knocked out in the first round by San Marcos de Arica, who aren't even in the game properly. Wow. Mm. Do you find that funny, Tamp Brown? How's your 2-0 win at my place feeling now? Do, do, you, find that fu- do, you, do you find that funny, Tamp Brown? I do, and I know it's good. Because Aldax Italiano were knocked out in the second round by Deportes Limache, who also aren't in the game properly. Get in. I love helping the smaller teams. I like how you do some proper Peter Mandelson spin on that. I am I'm the, the, the Prince of Darkness that he was. Yeah. Hwashi Pato, meanwhile, got to the final 
of the Copa Chile, where they would play Deportes Copiapo, and they would lose 3-2 in the final. That was bad enough for me. It was worse for Deportes Copiapo had gone 2-0 up, then we'd pulled them back to 2-all, but in the 87th minute, Calvin Phillips would score the winner <laughs> for Deportes Copiapo, as they would lift the Copa Chile. <laughs> Moving on to the Copa Sudamericana, obviously the South American version of the Europa League. Deportivo Magallanes were knocked out in the preliminary round by Audax Italiano. Everton, <laughs> Vina del Mar, whatever they're called, were knocked out in the preliminary round as well by Union La Calera of Messi and Bamford. By the way, you'll like this even more, Tant Brown. Magallanes are the team of Harry Kane, so... He's have still it. not won anything. I have it. <laughs> and speaking of, the final of the Copa Sudamericana was Audax Italiano versus Unión La Calera, an all Chilean final. It was won 3 0 by Audax Italiano, who yeah. picked up their first piece of silverware in the save. I've just realised I don't know who scored. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just pretend that... I, to be honest, I, I, I was so drunk that day, I can't remember who scored either at Mr. <laughs> Woodward. So, Joe Ellington with two, Divock with one, which is not what I expected in a major continental final, but, you know, it, it's okay. This brings us on to the Copa Libertadores. Palestino, despite having been relegated the year before, because they were the runners-up in the Copa Chile, actually were allowed to play in the second qualifying round, but they were knocked out by Guavani of Paraguay. Colo Colo were also knocked out in the second qualifying round by Racing Club in Argentina, despite having a budget a million times bigger. All four of the other sides who were in the Copa Libertadores made the semi-finals from, from Chile, including, of course, Kikimbo Unido and Huashi Pato. Kikimbo Unido beat Deportivo Nublense 5-3 on aggregate in the semi-finals. Huashi Pato beat Curico Unido 4-1 in the semi-final, meaning that the final of the Copa Libertadores is Huashi Pato against Kikimbo Unido, me against Towels. This is why earlier on I suggested doing a live game on the podcast because it's the Copa Libertadores final. Amazing. Ooh. Right, okay. So the teams are now warming up. I don't I don't think we can go through the entire lineups. At least you get the ambience of the sound. I think it's coming out of my Yeah, it's coming out of my speakers. Okay. So Washi Pato. Normal lineup as you'd expect Harland, De Bruyne, Vinicius, Rice, Davis, Erstegard, Kerbal, Hector Bayerine, come on. Kicking about Unido, meanwhile, Martinelli, Juanqui, Chan, Mane, Chowmeni, Stones, Kimpembe, Walker, whoever he has in goals, I've already forgotten. Like I said, both games between these two sides finished two all in the in the league season. So it'll be interesting to see how this game goes. And we have kickoff. Just so you know, I am supporting neither of you, and I just really hope the referee has a good game. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine any fan being like that. Just, oh, I hope the ref does well. Well, what what other choice have I got? The the choices is that one of you guys wins. I mean, you won the Copa Sudamericana, so whoever wins this is going to be playing you in the Super Cup thing. 
So the very funny thing about this is it's going really slowly because I'm sure Alex's laptop is really struggling with it. So um, I hope we're not going to talk through this whole game. I think it's Zoom that's the problem because we've done this before. This is not our first rodeo, but it it, it seems to be that Zoom struggles with the frame rate or something. But it's absolutely normal on my laptop. Hwashi Pato with the only shot of the game so far coming from Vinicius, saved easily by the Kikimbo and and I keep forgetting who it is. I should really check. Just to check. But not now. Because we're watching this, Kikimbo mm. are playing in white and Hwashi Pato yes. are playing in blue. Yeah, I should probably say that. Those are their tr- oh, it's Mike Mannion, isn't it? Yeah, I should have I known that. Haaland's just had a header saved by Mannion. Hwashi Pato definitely the better of the two sides to begin this game. Though I think that was also the case in both of the league matches and Kikimbo Inido came back. So, might mean nothing. I'm, I'm also praying for a huge mistake from one of your defenders. <laughs> like, I just want to see an absolute shocker from nowhere. That is, Towels is playing a long ball tactic. It's gone over to Juan He <laughs> Chan from the goalkeeper. There's no one in the Go box. On, Juan. Juan Jordan into Lozano. Surely not. Oh, wide. Wide. I, I'm watching this so much behind the other two. It's very funny. <laughs> Maybe I should close my own football manager. Maybe that will help. That might help. I mean, my football manager is running perfectly fine, so I assume that's not the problem. Uh, it might it might be might just be how your laptop handles Zoom. I mean, my laptop really can't handle Zoom, and it's why I keep checking Audacity to make sure it's still running. Yeah. So sorry if you keep seeing Audacity flash up, but I am really worried about it breaking midway through this game because I want my authentic reaction on this. Mane down the left. So Hanky Chan. Oh, Save by Kerbal. I'm on top. Yeah. You've definitely been better for two sides since the opening 10 months. I like how I've got Igor of, I believe, Brighton fame. Yeah. Yeah. 39,000 fans in attendance, which doesn't feel great. I should say, actually, whilst we're doing this game, I, I did change all the sides so they pretty much have full stadiums now because I want to see if any of them actually build bigger stadiums. I've said the maximum stadium capacity they can have is 150,000. Some of them have exceeded that somehow, which shouldn't really be possible because the the editor sets your maximum as, as 150,000, but one of them was definitely on 170,000, and I want a 170,000 seater stadium. That is ridiculously large. Yeah. No one, to my knowledge, has planned to build a bigger stadium yet. Declan Rice fires over from far out. This has been a very tight affair. Yeah, I mean, two games in the league finished in draws, so I don't think we could have expected anything else. I don't know why the capacity, well, why the attendance is only 40,000, because, like, this year's Copa Libertadores final was held at the American Art. Have they held it at a tiny stadium? So, they're, they're holding it at Elland Road. <laughs> no! <laughs> that's, that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. Oh, I imagine you don't have the VAR it. facilities anymore, though. So maybe not. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, go on. Oh, De Bruyne. Oh, dear. Can't chance for a counter. Vinicius through to Haaland. Uh, nothing. <laughs> oh, Vinicius gets the ball back. Shoots wide. I'm, I'm so far behind. 
Close, I, I think it must be my Wi-Fi. Closing FM hasn't helped at all. Mm. You're talking through these clips, and then I watch them much later. Kimbo Corner. Here we go. Have a shot. Lozano. Surely. Oh, oh. he's wide. That's probably going to be the last action of the first half. Nil-nil. Not very interesting. It looks like more than a 40,000 seat. Can I find out where it is whilst we're in half-time? Uh, General Pablo Rojas in Paraguay. 44,000 seat stadium in Asuncion. There we go. Why? Why are we doing that? It's a stupid Got to let Paraguay watch some good football every now and again. Yeah. I'm sorry, but this cannot be described as good football. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, <laughs> he makes a very it's good It's not point. been. It's not. It's been tense. XG zero point six one to zero point four five. It's been tactical, cagey. Both sides have had seven shots so far. Huachipato four on target. Kimbo Nido one on target. Like Paul Ritter famously said in Chernobyl, uh, it's not great, but it's not been terrible. <laughs> Martinelli with a shot. Oh, save by Kerbal. It's unfortunate. If anyone's going to win, it's Towels. Uh, it feels like it's Towels, right? Yeah. I've had more chances. But it only takes one chance to make a goal. Charmaine heads over from a corner. 49th minute now. Next highlight is Plashy. Kerbal's goal kick for some reason. Could mean that someone's going to make a massive ever. Okay, we've played it out of our own half without without doing something stupid, so that's good. I'm happy about that. All I'm saying is the referee's had a fantastic game and has deserved my support throughout. <laughs> Thank God we've got somebody observing the referee. Doesn't seem like he's had any hard decision to make, in all fairness. <laughs> he's had nothing to do. He doesn't have hard to... corners. Yeah. <laughs> Start to give a goal kick when Harland or Martinelli blasts it over. Has anyone made any changes yet? Don't think so. No. Another corner for Kimbo Inido. Oh, very close. I want to take Martinelli off corners. I thought Kobel have done that in real life and it's made things much better. Oh, De Bruyne with a free kick. kick. Hits a wall immediately. <laughs> Absolutely nothing about that. Stage fright from all of these players. I signed Bubakar Kamara years ago on a lead save when I only did lead saves. So that's for con- nice. For context, Bubakar Kamara <laughs> was on the ball at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've made a sub because I don't think I was starting Chino. No, I don't think you were. The be- the best thing that could happen is a red card in this. I reckon Kevin De Bruyne should be sent off. I, I don't. Hwangi Chan down the left, ball into the middle. Martinelli had a 1 0 Kakimbo Unido. Yay! I saw Martinelli, Martinelli running down the wing, and no, I saw He Chan running down the wing, and then one frame later, I saw the goal. And the crowd goes mild. <laughs> the crowd is uh, mildly confused why this is happening in Paraguay, but they're not complaining. I'm going to have to look now to see how many Copa Libertadores finals have been held in. In Paraguay. Looking at the what is the makeup of the fans on the 3D rendering, a lot of them seem to be wearing Huachipato colours. And then in the Coquimbo end, a lot of them are wearing like the shirts of Coquimbo, but there's a significant minority, probably even like 40%, who are just wearing beige. <laughs> it's very weird. As, as you do. Yeah. Here comes Tete for Huachipato. Oh, first... Slipped in. Oh, Vinicius. Vinicius. 
Into the middle, Haaland. Oh, cleared by Stones off the line. Penalty. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. No, I'm joking. No. Um, the first ever Copa Libertadores final was actually held well over two legs, but because Olympia of Paraguay were one of the sides, it was held in Paraguay in a different stadium in Asuncion. So there you go. It's been held in Paraguay since. Oh dear. Buongiorno. Oh. Passed it to Palavicino. Oh, he's won it back though. Yes, it has. Once. Twice. Three times the lady. <laughs> I should probably just um I should probably just comment when I find out. Four times in total. But the last time was in nineteen nineteen. It was because Olympia were in the final. So that was when it was two legs and you'd play in each of the sides home stadiums. Obviously it's only moved for Declan Wright are oh, wide. That's the chance. That was the chance. Yes, yeah, that was the chance. Um Obviously, it's moved recently to a single-game format, probably to avoid what happened with River Plate and Boca Juniors again. I was on a beautiful game at the time, and oh boy, that was fun. Mark Rocker's on. Mark Rocker is on. Well, thank He's going to score a 40-yarder. I think we're going to win now. If, if he does, I will forgive him forever, in real life and in this game. <laughs> Towels has improved since he took Mane off. I'll, I'll be honest mm. about that. Vinicius can't win ahead of Wickar Walker, so we've learned something today. Oh, what a pass by Mark Rocker to, to the guy stood right next to him with no defender nearby. Bayerveen, ball into the middle. De Bruyne blocked oh by gosh. someone. Who are you? Kim Bembe. It's what now a corner. This, this game is incredibly dry. I'd have more to say about it if I was seeing it at the same time as you guys are. Erstegaard, <laughs> oh, saved by Mannion. By the way, it should be said that Hwashi Pato winning the XG battle, but Towels winning the war. It's because Going I signed Mike Manuel. Into the middle. Nothing happening. I've got Gregor Kerbel in goals, and bar that one time against Bayern, he's quite good. And that one time against Union Berlin. Mike Manuel and the other might one be time just a bit. Yeah, that's fair. I didn't. I didn't sign a goalkeeper. He signed him. It's his <laughs> fault. It's not mine. I didn't do anything. I'm perfect. I've not done anything wrong ever. I'll remember that one. I'll remember that for when I next see. Since taking the lead. Since taking the lead, Kukimbo Uni though have not been the better side. Hachipato have been mm, the more. They, they have been very defensive. They've, they've gone look. I don't know how many goals there's going to be in this game, but three doesn't feel likely, so let's just sit back and try and hold on from here. It's very it's very Brexit, Towels. It's yes. a case of, we've got one, let's Sean dice it up and solidify. Mm. Oh, oh my god, god Yeah, I go from miles out, Eagle. and that's probably the game for Kakimbo Unido. Oh, whatever. I don't care, Easy. I'm not going to pronounce his name properly. Beating me. I'm not happy about that. I just, I just want this to be... I'm glad this has been put on record before Alex Woodward save scums it because Kerbal has done an awful, awful mistake. You, you know how we're meant to be drafting players at the end of this? <laughs> maybe maybe Kerbal can go. David De Gea is available, probably. He's still looking for oh, a club you. four seasons <laughs> in. I mean, judging by the way it's going in real life. Oh, God, yeah. I was convinced he was going to join Bayern, but no. Has no one been in his ear to just say, 
retire. Mm. What what possibly is he demanding? Because surely, if he had low demands, I, I just don't think anyone wants him. No, because he got approached by Forrest. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. Forrest approached him in January, and they just they turned them down. I, I would I I would rather do nothing than move to Not- Nottingham. Like, Understandable. Seems right. Yeah, that is true. Says man from Doncaster. <laughs> We can't all be from the beauties of North Yorkshire. Oh, hit. out just hit the bar. I think they have been the better side. They do deserve this overall because we can't put a shot on, on, on Mike Mannion. Does Mike Mannion have like a force field around him? Now, is because it, the, I didn't take that into account. The stats seem to suggest that you've had shots and they have been on target. Mm. It's just Mike Mannion's safe. No, it's, it's fair. Yeah, it's fair. John Stones has had a good game, though. Well, both of the two games in the league have finished two all, so you know, forget one back now. Mannion saving a De Bruyne a free kick. Well, at least he didn't hit the wall this time. Mm. The best thing about this is the fact that it is entirely in Alex Woodward's power just to skip the celebration. I'm not going to. <laughs> if 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 it, if this was a network save where I was in control of skipping the celebration and he'd actually beat me full time, Kikimbo Unido have won the Copa Libertadores, then yeah, I would entirely skip it. But you know, it, it's not actually me, so I, I don't care. I win. Yeah. He says before crying into his bottle for the rest of the night. Alex, to be fair, I'm glad Alex Towles has won because I would oh. rather face his team. This is the longest oh. They're taking their time to lift this, aren't they? There we go. Hey, there we they go. got it. I love the fact that the flares are actually in Quachapato away colours. Oh, yeah. Every game has, has lots of flares in this. No, no, the, the fireworks at the end. Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah. Um, but when I've been watching league games, there have been flares in the crowd, which I've not seen in my Italian save. I don't know if it's a new feature for FM24. But I think it's more prevalent in, uh, in South America, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So 2-0, the final score. Daniel Farker's become the new Iron Trap Frankfurt man. Oh, no, no, he's just been sacked. Never mind, I misread that. <laughs> right, so moving on into the league then after that bitter blow in the... I'd call it a glorious celebration. Like... <laughs> Shut up! I, so. I, would ex- I would extend what Towel said, but I would add a qualifier of the referee <laughs> because the referee had a fantastic game and that was all anyone on this podcast cares about. <laughs> I, I really hope one day, like, you go on pot shot when Arsenal have had a bad defeat and you just go, well, at least the referee was good. But to be honest, <laughs> considering the Premier League, that's probably not true ever. It's never, so, never going to happen. Never going to yeah. happen. I realise just how unrealistic that comment is. So, like last year, a lot of sides had the five-point deduction for breaking the rules when it comes to how many minutes under 21s play. Included in that were Hwashi Pato and Kikimbo Unido, and it does give, give me no joy at all to say that Ardex Italiano were not one of the sides who had a point deduction. Oh, yeah, that's good. It does oh. give me joy to say, though, that Ardex Italiano <laughs> finished ninth. It's all right finishing ninth when you're the most moral side in the league. <laughs> ninth, 17... Oh, sorry, 20 points behind... 
the side who won the league. Like as I said, we don't break the rules. We're a good, clean team. <laughs> the side who went down then nearly promoted Rangers to Talca, who spent what was it, one point three billion on new players after their five point deduction. They had fifteen points from thirty games, so <laughs> really bad return on investment let me just um let me just double check that let's just get the maths absolutely nailed down so rangers de talca spent 1.4 billion dollars they spent 93 million <laughs> per point brilliant I don't. I don't think any. I don't think even Chelsea are reaching anywhere close to ninety three no. million per point. <laughs> the other side who went down: Harry Kane's Deportivo Magalhães. Get in. So, absolutely fantastic. Thomas Muller playing there as well. Kim Min Jae. Romelu Lukaku has now been relegated in back to back seasons because he was with Palestino the year before. As they were relegated. He did do well in that side, actually. 16 goals in 28 games. This time, 9 goals in 20 games. So, yeah, less good. But, fair the other side who were relegated. Colo Colo finished 7th from therefore in the Copa Sudamericana place. Universidad Católica finishing 6th. Cobra South finishing 5th. Everton, Vina Del Mar finishing 4th. Me and Towels both in the top three with 50 points. Kakimbo Unido finished third with 57. Kuriko Unido finished second. And so for the second year in a row, Hwashi Pato won the Primera Division. And I've always said, and you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm famous for <clears throat> a bit saying fix. this. Mm, bad cough, sure, buddy. Bad, bad cough. <laughs> you keep believing that in your ninth place. <laughs> Moral victory. Moral I've always victory. said that the league is a better test of talent than the cup. You know, <laughs> if you're able to do it over over thirty game season, that's more impressive. Sorry, so I sorry. wouldn't really want anything else. Sorry, I'm I'm just I'm just hearing I didn't win a continental cup this year. <laughs> anything else? Continental champions, you'll never sing that apparently. Yeah. Champions of South America. You'll, You'll never see that. So we all get to brag about something over the yeah. rest of the panel, which I guess is true equality at the end of the day. Except I just beat Tab Brown all ends up because I won the better version of the competition he won. You also had a points deduction, yeah. so moral victory. I'm playing the cards still. <laughs> you still finished 10 points behind him even with that points deduction. It doesn't matter. Moral victory. I didn't break the rules. <laughs> I'm going to sign so many 30-year-olds for, for your side. I would love if you do that, and I still don't manage to break the rules. <laughs> that would be really impressive. Actually, I, I've not looked at like the youth makeup of any of these, these sides. I don't know if you're bringing in the players, because... Sorry. You finish your thought. One of the things I'm interested in is to see if sides start ra- drastically improving their youth facilities, because nobody has good youth facilities in, in the league. But with that rule in place, you'd think they'd start investing in them quite quickly. Yeah. doesn't look like anyone has so far. Though, obviously, even if they did, the fruits of that labour won't be seen for a few years anyway. Well, 
What is it? What is the rule for points so of deduction I, again? I can't remember exactly, but I think it's 70% of your minutes have to include a certain number of under-21s or something like that. Okay. Mm. I'd Google it now, but no, it's too late. Too late at night, I can't be bothered. So we're going to end off then with transfers. Actually, before we do that, I need to get your squads up so I can send them to you. Um, I'd actually tell you, I predicted second at the beginning of the season. Well, it's it's oh, so well. hard to compete when everyone else around you is cheating. <laughs> so it's, it's a 14-team league, right? An 11, 16. It's a 16-team league. 11 and 11 teams, teams broke the rules. Like, Out of interest, in the second tier, same rule applies, 16 teams in that league and seven broke the rule. Actually, I, w- I will just say whilst we're on the topic, Palestino were promoted again at the first attempt. Oh, Higgins, despite having still quite a good squad, I, I got rid of most of their players and I you know, made their funding level with the rest of the league, but... Still, they they finished 22 points behind Palestino and Deportes Lacerena were promoted instead. They finished sixth in the regular season and then won the playoffs. So Poor That O'Higgins. was quite remarkable. Yeah, well, O'Higgins are not coming back this season, which I'm actually glad about because, you know, you, you don't want just the same two teams going up that came down. I'll be honest... I don't care if it's one of my sides. If if all three relegated clubs get promoted from the championship, just end it. Just end it. That, there's no point anymore. Just quit. F Southampton is essentially what I'm saying. Understandable. So the first person to pick is Alex Tamperown. Do you want a particular position? Striker, please. Striker. Is that because you're starting Divokarigi? Yes. Yes. <laughs> That seems like a good call. So, the highest valued strikers on the game that are available for you Darwin Nunes, Alexander Vizak, Rando Kalamuani, who's at Bayern Munich, Marcus Turam at Real Madrid. Actually, I could see that happening in real life. Uh, Federico Chiesa and Inyaki Williams. And Dusan Vlahovic and Matisse Dal. I'm going to go with. Matisse. Wait, I've got Mbappe and I didn't play Mbappe in that game. Was he injured? Oh, that's a four. I didn't think about that. And oh, he is injured, anyway. yeah. Um, currently undergoing treatment for a twisted ankle, suffered during a 3-2 defeat to Deportivo and Blense. Must be an absolute Wait, fraud. No, on the 1st of December 2024. I was after the final. I think he did play, but was just... He must have played. A bit beyond terrible. Yeah, not great. No, because um, I was starting. Um, maybe that's because we started Martinelli and Hai Hee Chan. Um, yeah, no, you're right. You didn't play. <laughs> so I don't know if it, he, he must have been injured, but, but he, he came back and then got injured, injured again. again. Mm. Absolute crock on nine hundred grand a week. Yeah, I'm just saying that. Sam Brown. I think I'm going to go for Matisse Tell. That is a tactical choice, because he's going to still be under 21. Uh, Alex Tells, what position do you want? Um, What midfielders have you got for me, Woodward? Midfielders? I'd replace Gabby. 
but I can't. Gabby, Bruno, Gimmerweiss, James Madison, Federico Valverde, Leon Goretzka, Emil Smith-Rowe, Frankie de Jong, Kai Havertz, Jesus Christ, you picked Kai Havertz, Fabian, Juan Neves, Fabio Vieira, and Florian Verts. Um, how old is Mr. Gavi? Gavi is 20. Ooh. Yeah, I'm going to go with Gavi. Gavi, okay. And then I am going to... <sighs> I don't know. Do I go for the punching wizard himself, or do I go with the guy who I just like more? It's your team, you should like them. Yeah, but he's not as good, I don't think. Yeah, I'm going to go with Leroy Sane, the, the, the slapping man. For 275 million on. That's how much he's going to be bought for. The spending already underway. 18.2 billion in total, by the way. So what's that the GDP of? Oh, we'll get the we'll get the list up. Uh it's more than uh Monaco and uh Equatorial Guinea combined. <laughs> you know, two nations you think of are incredibly similar. Monaco and Equatorial Guinea. I'm trying, I'm trying to find Chile's. Uh... When we've exceeded Chile's GDP, I think it's time to emphasize. I mean, to be fair, Chile's GDP is 320 billion. Uh, well, it'll definitely be time to emphasize because it'll, be, it'll have been going on for about 100 years. Which is not 330 divided by 9, but, you know, whatever. No. And with that... At a time of 20 to 12, when we started recording at half seven, it's probably just about time to end the podcast. Uh, Alessandro, was it Alessandro? Is that what we agreed on? Alessandro Woodward, yeah. Uh, Thank you to Alessandro Woodward and Alex Tout-Brown for being with us as always. Grazie. Uh, and thank you to you for listening. Uh, we will be back next month with another update. I'm probably going to be doing an entirely different save, probably with Standard Liège, and then the other two will be carrying on with other they're doing. But we'll see where that ends up. We'll see you there. Cheers. Ciao. Bye.